welcome to the Stelvey Auto Show and for the second year in a row of our awards evening, I have a cold. I'm Sean Smith and I'm joined by Sam Green. Good evening. And Christopher Strickland. Good evening. Well, you both gentlemen both well? Uh, yeah, unlike you, we don't have a cold. Yeah, Sam. very much so. I actually feel better because I know you're ill. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, I can, I can concur. Uh, I'll concur with that. Unfortunately, the fact is that that is absolutely not an uh, overstatement. It's, it's factual that that probably yep. is the case. Yep, yep. So I think Sam, this is our third year doing the the awards, end of year motorsport awards. Yeah, it is, isn't it? I mean, and to think all of this spawned out of the fact that we disagreed with autosport, <laughs> and that <laughs> continues to this very day. Yes, we. Uh, we are we are the award show that actually awards motorsport, unlike autosport yes. awards. Who um, just... We're not just a popularity contest, unlike somebody in this who has chosen some very popular choices. Yes, but we'll get to, oh, we'll get to that. I, I can't help being popular. Now, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately uh, this year, we uh, uh, I rushed it a bit because I didn't realise that Cree was off you, to you... Uh, faraway lands this year. But, uh, no, you mean you left it too late, is what you did. That too. But um, we're still going to be like a week earlier than last year, so that's good. Um, that's assuming you put it out on time. Well, that's my, that's my problem. Anyway, so this year we've got some actual categories which don't yet have winners, which means that uh, you, listeners, will be able to vote if you have a preference. So there we go. That's how I'm going to decide that one. There we go. So are we ready for the awards? Yes, let's go. Yes. Right, let's start start with the big one. 2022 World Motorsports Awards Ceremony by Stoke Automotive. Category number one, the driver or rider of the year. Sam, who are the nominations? The nominations for driver slash rider of the year are George Russell, Tom Blomqvist, Tingram, Tongram, um, Will Power, Scott McLaughlin, Alvaro ba- uh, Bowista, <laughs> Bertie Breadstick, Bertrand Baguette, Thank you. Um, Max Verstappen, and Calais Rovan Pera. Uh, Cree, any, any uh, adjustments to names you want to do for Sam's presentation? No, no, I'm just saying, you know, you took the piss out of me when trying to pronounce no, that, that's, that's name, so I'm just taking the piss out of Sam for not pronouncing no, Bautista. No, no. He, I mean, I genuinely have never seen that name before, so... Even well, like, you've been living under a rock then, haven't I've, you? I've mentioned him at least many times before. It's not like he wasn't a um, lot of GP and World Superbike racer, you know, just and, two of the largest uh, bike sports in the world. Now, well... This is our first, no, our first. Straight away off the bat, we've got a category which is in contention, in in debate. Uh, Sam, you pick, you picked Tom Ingram. I did, yes. Cree, um, Cree picked Bertie Redstick. I, I did pick Bertrand Baguette. And I picked Alvaro Bautista. So let's let's start with Sam first. Why did you pick Mister Ingram? Um, Tom Ingram won the British Touring Car Championship this year and it has been a long time coming Um, he's been in British Touring Cars since 2014 this is his first championship Um, but he's always well since well 2017 really he's always been there or thereabouts he's always had a decent car and done quite well with it this year he was just 
very, very consistent as much as anything. Um, I mean, there's not many races where he finished off of the top five. There's a few because of a reverse grid, but generally he was always top 10, if not top five, which is very impressive in the Touring Car Championship because it is a big grid, as we know. It is, and also on top of that with the... Uh the hybrid system and the way that that is dished out this year, as we discussed in yeah. previous podcasts, the higher up and better you do, the less of that you get. So in theory, it should make things closer. But uh, either way, Tom Ingram did become the champion at the end. He did. Uh, uh, and okay. we, we were there for that, weren't we? Um, and it was quite cool to see. But he also came into the final round of Brands Hatch in fourth place in the championship. But all four of those drivers clearly were in contention. He was the outside bet, uh, but managed to win race one and race two, and then finished uh, fifth in race three, which is the reverse, one of the reverse grids, to, uh, to take the championship. Uh, so yeah, I think that probably shows kind of the sort of season he had really, where he was just consistently quick in a series where it is very difficult to be super consistent because of the various factors like the success bias with the, um, with the hybrid and, uh, reverse grids and things like that. So yeah, I think it's a very, very good achievement for him and a long time coming. So yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, Chris, yeah, well, just because it's a just because it's a long time coming doesn't mean he deserved. You know, that's kind of like, you know, oh yeah, I've been in touring cars for thirteen years. I deserve a championship. Well, I'm not saying he's... he. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. The fact is, this year he was the best, and he did a great job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's consistent. It kind of tends to come with the the caveat when racing when sort of like a. It's not a spec series, but borderline spec series with with touring cars. You, you know, you're CC, looking at most though. consistent. It's not, well, as I say, it's not a spec series, but it's very close to one. Um, as far as touring cars go, not really, but never mind. Please. Um, Chris, same question with Bertie Breadstick. Why'd you pick him? Uh, I picked him predominantly because of what he'd done in the past. So, since, so he's been around the bush a few times uh, in various different formulas. He's done single seat racing, um, won his first championship in three and a half litre Renaults. He did. I, I was um, here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Such a random thing to remember, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then he moved to IndyCar, had awful, awful time at IndyCar, and then he found his feet in sports car racing at when Le Mans LMP2 race with whom, Sean? Uh, I mean, Martin Plowman's. Exactly, yeah. Plowman and a baguette. <laughs> a lovely, a better, lovely lunch. Lovely lunch, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then in 2013, he moved to Japan, where he raced in Super GT with uh, the Honda factory team. And for many, many years, he had some unsuccessful uh, seasons where he barely even scraped the top 10 racing for Nissan. And this year, he took the decision to leave, leave Honda Sorry, did I say Nissan? I meant Honda. Did, yeah. Leave Honda, having spent seven years with them, and join Nissan on their new Z GT500 program, which, bearing in mind, brand new car, never been raced before, up against the Toyota Supra, which at the time was, oh, I, 
as we found out last year, was one of the most dominant cars of the year. And I think it was our car of the year last year, if yeah. I remember well, correctly. Toyota won every single championship we mentioned last year, basically. So Exactly, yeah, pretty much. So, you know, you're going up against some stiff competition. And he came out on top. I mean, granted, I'll give him that. It's a two-car team. But, you know, I can't choose two drivers, so I was going to choose at least Bertrand Baguette because of the history. And, you know, he's go- he's gone from what is, you know, from the Honda factory team uh, and just gone, you know, I'm going to try something new, dipped into the Nissan team and immediately won straight away. Uh, and to me, that's that just shows the type of driver he is and why he needs to be you know, driver yeah. of the year. He, he's done a great job. I, I don't... I don't doubt that for a second. I, no, the, I'm, I'm very happy that uh, Bertrand has finally found his feet in something. After basically after Formula Three and Three Point Five, he more or less dropped off the face of the earth in terms of the the highlights of motorsport. Well, yeah, he joined Oak Racing's LMP2 program to some success. I mean, they they finished the FIA Endurance Championship first. They won Le Mans in the same year. But other than that, he has had a very rough career. Yeah, so it's very, very rough career. It's, 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 he's one of the good guys, so I'm happy to. He is, yeah. Well. He's um, also, thank God, he's Belgium and not French. <laughs> but also, the other good guy is, of course, Alvaro Bautista, who has finally won a championship for the first time since 2006. I'm so happy. <laughs> I've waited years for this. Um, so, is this your choice then, Sean? A little bit, yeah. Um, <laughs> I didn't know what to do, Sam. I thought we just mentioned him for the fun. Yeah, yeah. No, so Alvaro Bautista won the first motorbike race I ever watched on TV. Oh. Which was the one two five cc race at Estoril in 2006. Of course, Great the, memory. The memory. The well, partly also because the first MotoGP race, which happened after that one two five race I watched, was the one which uh, Tony Elias won by two thousandths of a second. <laughs> Close. Yeah. But anyway, but the, but the bigger memory, sort of, was the fact that Alvaro Bautista on the one two fives, which was more or less a, just a class of brilliance back then. I think he won by about fifty, by about 20, 30, 40 seconds or something. It was huge. Um, it was yeah. But it was either way. He's then basically had his MotoGP career. He was always sort of Chris. Remember, sort of a he showed flashes. Uh, of he, he did, but he was more. Crashy. You know, like what's yeah, crashy, but what like kind of like what satellite back bikes are nowadays. He was kind of just there, but never really there. Well, midfield. He was, he was on the Suzuki's to start with, which obviously we all know back then weren't great. No, they weren't. No, and they then, were. Then he went tail to Charles. Yeah, then he went to the sort of satellite Hondas at the time when, if you weren't on the factory bike, you weren't going to win. Uh, no, you you very much got second hand gear, whereas nowadays. Some, especially at the beginning of the season, the satellite backs are sometimes, if not better than the the current spec or yes. the, the the newest spec bike. Um, but yeah, no, it was certainly not a good period to be on a satellite bike. No. If you were on the factory bike, you were going to win. If you weren't, good luck. Yeah, so he did suffered through that. He did have you know a couple. Of, he then had a time with Ducati and MotoGP, which I think he did really well at. Um, but he then got picked by Ducati and also their sort of works team over in World Superbike. Uh, went over there, nearly won the championship a couple of years ago, but crashed a lot and didn't. Uh, in fairness, he's, he was up against Johnny Ray. Yeah, the thing, yeah, he if he hadn't crashed as often, he would, could have won it. Doesn't he, matter. He uh, didn't. He then went to Honda for two years in World Superbikes. Realised how crap their bike was. Went back to Ducati this year and. Uh, 
has won it in style. I think, didn't he take Scott Redding's seat? Uh, oh, yeah, Scott Redding took his and then he went to BMW and then Bautista took his back. So, yeah. Remember when uh, Bautista with Ducati his first time was two bikes, one, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Eleven, ten out of the ten out of his first eleven races, he won in World Superbikes. I mean, in fairness, he is up against some proper, proper competition. You know, you're against Johnny Ray, seven-time World Superbike champion, and Raz Gaglioglu, who is how you pronounce his name, <laughs> a current, or what well. would have been current world champion, and properly good on a bike. So you know, you, you're up, you're not just against you know like an injured Johnny Ray and a I think he was actually injured at the beginning of the season, but like you know. You weren't up against pansies. You were up against some proper competition. But this year, he won 16 races out of uh, 29, which is pretty decent. Um, And he only had two retirements, three races outside of the top three, where he finished either fourth or fifth. uh, And the rest of them were either wins or podiums. 601 points. Yeah, but nowadays you can't really look at points as like the defining well, factor. You know, F1 people do, so whatever. Well, that's true. <laughs> but uh, no, did a great job, and that's why he's, he got my nomination. Mainly because he, he's yeah. won something for the first time in like 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we um, just to, to just mention our honourable mention for this as well um, of Calais Rovampera from yes. the WRC? Um, Youngest WRC champion ever, 22 years old, um, took that crown from Colin McRae. Um, what a season he had. What a season. Uh, five rallies he won this year. Um, and that is Sweden, which is snow. Croatia, which is dirt and mostly tarmac. Portugal, which is all dirt. The Safari Rally in Kenya, dirt. Estonia, dirt. And Rally New Zealand, which I'm pretty sure is a mixture of tarmac and dirt, but he won on pretty much, well, every single um, surface, basically. Yeah. In And in rallying, it, as Al will always tell you, it's very difficult to win a lot of rallies in a season because there is so much to go wrong. Oh, you've, you've basically said the same thing you did last year, Sam. This is good. If people listen, yeah. have gone back to listen to the last one before this one. They're in for a treat. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're absolutely, I mean, you look at like, rally stages in general. You know, anything can happen. Anything can happen. Exactly. I mean, he could just hit one rock slightly wrong and that's the rally done. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, So, yes, Um, listeners, uh, do put your votes in to who you think should be uh, your uh, driver or rider of the year because we can't decide between us. Yes, basically. Because I want to pick bread. (laughs) All those chews, the bread cake. Um, (laughs) I'm glad you understand. So, just a quick, quick run for everyone else. Verstappen and George Russell, F1. Verstappen did, did very well, not one of the races. George Russell beat Lewis Hamilton, cool. Uh, Scott McLaughlin did quite well in IndyCar this year, had a nice step up. That's why I put him on there. He will. Will Power won the championship, which is great. Uh, Tom Blomqvist, I put him on here because Autosport didn't give him the award he deserved. Uh, yeah, I thought he did very well this year. Um, but neither did we. We didn't give it, give it either. But uh, No, not that well. Anyway. Uh, let's move on to category number two, the car or bike of the year. Uh, Cree, what are the nominations? Uh, so we've got the Red Bull RB18, 
the Ducati Desmedici GP22, the Porsche 991 GTE, Ducati Panigale V4R, the Toyota GR Yaris Rally 1, the Nissan Z GT500, and the Haas VF22. Now, this one's another one which is in, in debate and contention. Oh, with three different uh, options selected. Uh, I picked the GR Yaris because really it's it, it, last year we well, made because some, it dominated rally well that's the thing last year we made a massive fuss about the last Yaris um, being you know madly dominant and this one scored five more points there you go it also helps Cali win his championship the next that was the car he drove this year yes. um, clearly a very good car um, a Toyota let's let's be fair Toyota of all the teams in WRC do have the most hybrid experience. <laughs> um, let's face it, but they still implemented it very well, um, and it's clearly a good car. Yep. And as as Al says, rally cars are built had to be built properly, otherwise they break and people die. So yes, that's my choice. Uh, <laughs> Sam. You chose the Red Bull. Yes, I did. I chose the Red Bull RB18, uh, the Formula 1 car from this year. It started fairly strong. Wasn't necessarily the best car on the grid at the beginning of this year, but it just got better and better and better to the point where by the end of the season, Verstappen particularly, but also Checo, could just overtake wherever they wanted to and however they wanted to. It was almost too easy. The car was that good. Um so I th I think yeah they it's just a fantastic car it's a it's not a perfect uh, car by any stretch but I think it's a very good basis for what is going to be coming and this rule set is going to be with us for another few years and if you're going to start strong really start strong and that's exactly what Red Bull have done um, and yeah it could have gone so many different ways with the completely new rule set. The Red Bull, you have to say, kind of nailed it. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's a particularly exciting choice. Nope. The way I look at the Red Bull RB18 is when, if a top footballer plays against school children, he's not a very good footballer. <laughs> <laughs> the Red Bull goes up against all of the other teams and is Maybe not as dominant as like the Mercedes were back at the beginning of the hybrid era, but certainly pretty damn dominant. It doesn't really, especially at the, at the end of the season, it doesn't really get the praise it should probably deserve. But at the same time, you can't sat there going, well, I don't think it really shows its best assets by just being out in front. If it no, the, I, get, I get what you mean. If it was the engine of the year, I'd give it to Honda's slash Red Bull powertrain. Yeah, no, I would, yeah. I'd agree no, with I that. Yeah, I'd definitely agree with that. But I don't know if I'd give it to the Red Bull's car because it's it's very, very good. But for It's our, also been reliable, which... Well, it, yeah, it was the beginning of the season. It was weird, wasn't it? It had really bad reliability for like four races and then it was fine for the rest of the year. Yeah, they had that one problem and once they'd fixed it, it was fine. Um, whereas Ferrari had problem after problem after problem, even though their car was very, very quick. And I did think about nominating 
the Ferrari for this because I thought it was very, very good, but it had too many issues yeah, but through they, the year. Team issues or the car issues? Well, I think it was a mixture of both because, I mean, just to pick one out, Austria, for example, Carlos Sainz caught fire. Yeah, it's great. Um, and Charles Leclerc, although he won the race, he won the race with a sticky throttle. Yeah. Which is testament to his driving, but not to the reliability of the car. Yeah, but it's also really good for Drive to Survive. Literally. Well, yes, of course. Yeah, because he was driving to survive, <laughs> as was uh, Carlos when yeah. he was trying to not let his car reverse back down the hill. Yes. Um, Precisely. But, so. uh, they are quality content. Your choice is pretty self explanatory from the last one, but uh, the Z GT500. Now, I'm going to half back you up all here before you say why. Uh, because last year, I, re I listened to back this earlier, you said if the GT500 Nissan can sort of go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a Toyota, that would be a good result. You, and you, your words were, I don't expect it to be as strong as the Supra. Uh, no, I was right. I don't expect it to be as strong as the Supra, because it was better than the Supra. So it wasn't as strong as the Supra, it was just better in every way, shape, or form. No, I think it's more the fact that it's just more consistent. I mean, you look at... Um, Bertie Baguette and his teammate, who I will now find. Uh, oh, I'm going to butcher this name. <laughs> Kazuki Hiramine. That's better than I. There you go. I didn't butcher it quite as bad. I think, I think we're probably going to take your word for that one, mate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in fairness, they were, of the top teams, they were the only team to retire and then win the championship. So it just kind of shows the strength of not just the pace of the, the ZGT500, but, but sort of consistent performances. Um, performances going throughout the season. I mean, the way the Super GT works is you get um, an even more um, stricter balance of performance than you do in, say, BTCC, where teams get up to 100 kilos of, of mass depending on how many points they get, and then once they go beyond... The number of points they then get limited restrictors for the turbos, and so you just essentially you gain weight and lose power, and it, it hurts the top teams. And you can sort of see by the end of the season with the, the Z car, you know, when they had the most max max weight and max uh, restrictor, they were still churning out results. I mean, sort of from they had Fuji, they scored a third in the second at Fuji, and then. Sort of Suzuka, they got a, their only win of the season, but they had four podiums in, in ten races, no eight races, and it just kind of led them to the to win the championship. Uh, and so, to me, that's not entirely down to the, the drivers; it's you know mostly down to the car and the car's performance. Um, it's very and easy for me, when making it's... a new car to trip up somewhere. And, uh, exactly, yeah. you know, you look at super, uh, the Supra's dominance in its first year. But the Honda, like, nobody expected. Nobody expected. Well, wasn't that was the Honda the, the same? same year? That's the point. The Honda was the same year, and that yeah, was that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's right. Because the Honda moved their engine to mid, not midship. They'd gone front, front engine, but they'd moved everything. But so it was a, it was based on a mid-engine car, but then they couldn't do it because it wouldn't work properly. And then they put it front engine and just moved the drivers back a bit. Yeah. Um. And yeah, the Super absolutely dominated. Like when, what was it? What was the stat at the first race at Fuji? It was a, one, it was a one, two, five, five, six or something. Yeah. Yeah, it was the top five of with a, the GT500 Supras, and the winner of the GT300 class was a Supra as well. So you, you, as I said, 
when mentioning in the Bertrand Baguette's um, draft of the year. You know, you're not going up against chums. You're going up against some of the hardest competition and some of the, and what was one of the most dominant cars. And, you know, you took it to town, you beat them. Yeah. So, yeah, to me, that that's the reason though, that the Z car should be the car of the year. Yeah, I mean, that's it's a fair point because I suppose a rally car, you're, you're racing a track and fighting a track rather than opposition. The Red Bull yeah. did, didn't have any opposition. So, yeah, maybe the Z, car, the, the Z is the best car of the year. <laughs> um, let, so yeah uh, listen to viewers you can also decide for that one uh, if you're, who your car or bike of the year is basically other mentions uh, Ducatis both of them they won the championships great bikes yeah yeah perfect bikes why did you choose the Haas <laughs> we'll get to that uh, the Porsche 991 I think it was the best GTE car I think they that Ferrari played better tactics basically in getting the balance of performance which is why they won the there's a surprise Ferrari doing well on strategy oh, it's AF Corsa isn't it it's not Ferrari that's true yeah. it's AF Corsa yeah. um, and the Haas VF22 is also the uh, car of the year nomination because it's not the car from 2018 yes <laughs> we've given it the uh, a different one of our awards yes uh, for the last three years um because it's the same car. It's always been the same car. And it's not the same car yeah. this year because the rules changed, so they couldn't have the same car. Yeah, we can't We can't vote it to be the uh, most pointless innovation uh, because, yes. A, it's scored points, and, B, it's different to the last few years. So, yeah, I guess it, it gets an honourable mention for car, car of the year instead. Instead. Right. It also had a pole position. Let's not forget that. Oh, I'm joking. This is yeah. Every, if you don't if you don't know about that, then uh, you're not a motorsport fan. So there you go. Yep. Maybe a motorsport fan. They just might not find Formula One interesting, mm-hmm. like Al does. Maybe. I think even mm-hmm. Al knew that Magnussen got pole though, didn't he? Probably. Probably. Uh, next up is the third contentious <laughs> category: um, race of the year. Yes. Uh, who, who would like to do nominations this time? I'll do this one. Go on. Unless you want to do it, Sean, yeah? No. Nope. Yeah, go on, Sean. No. You haven't done one yet. Because my voice is killing me, Gugger. So someone else do it. That sounds okay. like a you problem. <laughs> I'll do it then. I'll do it. So um, the nominations for Race of the Year are uh, the Formula One Grand Prix in Texas at Cota, um, the Indy 500, the MotoGP Australian Grand Prix, uh, the Monza Six Hour, um, the iRacing Daytona 24 Hour, specifically Al, um, specifically Al, uh, the 24 Hours of Spa Classic, um, and the BCCC Racing Bug RC Car Race. <laughs> um, now, uh, I'll start first because I selected the Monza Six Hour at WC. <clears throat> Just because Peugeot's first race? No, that no. was part of it because it was a big moment for the WC. Having Peugeot, having Peugeot become the third hypercar uh, in the category because the Alpine isn't a hypercar. Um, it, it, was, it was just a huge story for the WC, probably the biggest story they've had in the last few years, in honesty. Um, well, since the, the last big story was, you know, when Porsche, Audi, yeah, and you know, they all just decided to up sticks and move, yeah. Mm. Um, it was also hey, it was also B, just a brilliant race. Uh, the Peugeot wasn't way off the pace, which everyone was worried about because of its very um, 
left of field choice of aerodynamics and that sort of thing. Yeah, um, we either thought it was going to be rapid or awful. terrible, and it was neither. No, it, so... was, it was fine. You know what it is? The, the Peugeot is what the Nissan should have been. Yes. <laughs> Essentially, <laughs> yes. It is what the Nissan, <laughs> apart from the fact it's yeah, it's and the Nissan was front wheel drive, but you know the the Peugeot is what the Nissan should have been if Nissan had Bothered. continued. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, but away from that, uh, the Glickenhaus brought a new livery along, the blue one, and that was very nice. It did look. That did look very nice. The and blue they, and they got pole position. Yeah, I was going to say they weren't they on pole for this race yep. as well. And they ran away with it, and they blew up. Yeah. <laughs> they had a very eventful race, but they did nearly win. Yeah. And then it was just a good race with the Toyotas, the Alpine, and the Glickenhaus, and the Peugeot was there. Uh, the Peugeot, both Peugeot broke down briefly, but at least one of them got to the end. And the same happened at later races. But it was a big race for the WEC. It was, it was always, it was very, I'm very happy they've come back to Monza. Because uh, I don't, I don't think they've been there. Oh well. Also, because we're looking forward to next year, Sam. But so that's that's. We uh, certainly are. That's that's yeah, no spoilers for next year's uh, race of the year. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, wouldn't it be a shame if you couldn't go? Wouldn't that go. be a shame, Sam, if you couldn't go to Le Mans? Yeah, I'm not going. To it would be a terrible shame if I couldn't go to Le Mans. Fortunately, I should be going to Monza. Yes, likewise. So it'd be such a shame if you couldn't go to Monza, eh, Sam? It would be a real shame. Yeah. Ah, sorry. I'll just go to the. The, um, Fuji, Fuji. Hours. <laughs> oh, Fuji was it six or eight? Six, I think. Six, yeah. They're all sixes, aren't they? Apart no, from the mob, Bahrain's are eight. Oh, is it okay? Uh, so yeah, I'll just go to Fuji instead. I nearly picked this as well. So, Indy 500, Sam. Yes, now the Indy 500 is always a brilliant race, let's face it. Um, but uh, this one was uh, really quite a lot of green flag racing there was a few yellows in the middle of the race wasn't there yes but generally there was quite a lot of actual racing going on which is always good um i mean to the point where even the americans were getting bored <laughs> <laughs> yeah they were hoping for something a yellow to happen for some reason um but um before you go into the race detail can we just make a mention about the qualifying and the absolute yeah, I mean, record speeds they had. They were insanely fast, weren't they, in qualifying. Um, it was fantastic. It was so good to watch because Rina's VK set that lap time of 233.4 and everyone was like, no one's getting near that. There's not a hope in hell's chance. And then Scott Dixon went, um, actually... <laughs> Hold my beer. <laughs> yeah, oh. I just went quicker. Yeah, hold his beer. Hold his Foster's. Well, yeah, yeah. It's, he's, no, kind he's, of a beer. He's a Kiwi. Is he? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's called Dixon from New Zealand. <laughs> oh, that—that was such a terrible joke. It sounds disconnected. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, while he reconnected, yes. because I was going wrong. Yeah, it was an excellent. Uh... Oh, he's back again. Hey, that's a shame. Uh, yes. Yeah. No, no. Sorry. And no, we we just said that uh, your joke was so bad that you disconnected. Yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> it was awful, uh, and so was my New Zealand accent. So it's glad that you, good that you didn't hear that. We did. Oh. <laughs> uh, no, it was an excellent race. It was very full on, very fast, and a surprise winner. I won was... a lot of money. I remember that distinctly. Was I won that? like twenty quid off that. <laughs> I did not win anything. Oh yeah, Sam lost all his money. <laughs> I lost all my money. 
Um, so, although I, I was betting from my heart and not my head, as I always do. So I, I was yeah. back. I was back on form though, making oh, money at Indy 500, which I've I've done in every all but one year. So yeah. I, I'm very happy. All but one every year of the Indy 500. Yes. Well, I'm oh, well. bothered with. Um, okay. Anyway, Mark Sergson. Mark Sergson won the race. If I put these ways, I'd have made a fortune this year, but never mind. <laughs> um, yes, Mark Sergson won it. Yes, um, and he drove superbly well. He led only thirteen laps, um, but he led the most important one, as they as the saying goes, which is the last lap. Yep. Um, well, yeah, he had, he had he, to though, didn't he? Because he had oh, what was his name? Who was the the that was charging through the field? The old bloke. Crack. What was Canaan, Tony Canaan. Tony Canaan. Yeah, no, on his way. Yeah, I, I remember the rest. I was, going, I was just begging him not to just just to stop. I said nobody. In fairness, nobody wanted Tony Canaan to overtake Marcus Everson. Let's be honest. No. Well, Pato Award was up there as well. He finished second um, in the Aaron McLaren SP, uh, and then yeah, then it was Tony Canaan third. But uh, the top Brit. Just going to mention this now. Do you know who that was? Uh, I've forgotten. It was Callum Eilert. It was 32nd. Yes, but he was still the top Brit. He didn't finish, but he was still... Actually, no, sorry, Jack Harvey won the race. Uh, Jack must have got higher. Yeah, he he finished 24th. But in qualifying, Callum (laughs) Eilert was the top Brit. (laughs) I I have no idea why you could ever mention Callum Eilert, Sam. No, 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 I'm just just mentioning that. His rookie, rookie Indy 500... Was just his saying rookie, that it was his rookie Indy 500. Yeah, how, how yeah. qualified 19th. How many Brits were um, there in uh... three? Ooh, so he, he, yes, okay. It was him, Jack Harvey, and Stefan Wilson. Okay. Um, although it's Stephen Wilson. No, Chilton didn't do it this year. No, because um, he's a wuss. Sorry, uh, he, he doesn't doesn't like ovals. <laughs> he's placed. He didn't do any races this year, though, did he, Chilton? He, Not did, in he did one. Oh, okay. Which wasn't a race, but we'll get to that. There you go. Um, now, Cree, I wholeheartedly disagree with you on your choice. Why? Because I watched the last few laps and they're rubbish. What are you about? It was like the best GP race of the year. From memory, if I can remember rightly. It was all building up to be lots and lots of overtaking and whatever. For and the there was. Nothing so the race there was. Yeah. It was the most GP race I think I've ever seen. I think you had Ben's sort of working his way from, I think it was like uh, the beginning of the race or something. If I was um, the whole race, I might have had a different idea, but uh, I didn't. No, you didn't. Of course you didn't. <laughs> but, but the reason that it was, to me, it was the best race of, 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 of this year was predominantly because if you've ever watched a full MotoGP weekend, it starts off with the Moto3 in the morning, then you get the Moto2, not traditionally, you get the Moto2 and then the MotoGP. What tends to happen is throughout the day, the races get less and less exciting because obviously the faster bikes means it's much more difficult to overtake, harder to um, follow the bike in front, etc. etc. So traditionally what you get is you get a really exciting Moto3 race with lots of overtaking, lots of incidents and accidents, and you just have to look back to the Malaysia um, which would have been my other option, but I didn't think Moto3 would have gone down particularly too well. But the Malaysia uh, Moto3 race where... Um, shit, I can't remember the name of the Scottish blog now. Mackenzie? Yes. Dom, no, John McPhee. Oh, Mackenzie. No, John McPhee started fifth in the, on the third to last corner and then won the race. 
Um, so you do, so you start with a big bang, and then eventually, when you get to the MotoGP race, it just is a bit processional. But it was the other way around in the, the Australian Grand Prix, in that the Moto3 race was a bit boring. The Moto2 race got a bit more exciting. But the MotoGP race, when you watch the whole thing from start to finish and watch the way that Rins went from his poor starting position on the Suzuki because they never seemed to qualify particularly too well and slowly work his way up to then lead and win the race, and the fact that the top five riders, I think it was the top five riders, yeah, bear with me, uh, no, sorry, the top seven riders all finished within a second of each other, which doesn't tend to happen in MotoGP. Um, just kind did, of built up to this, it didn't feel you know, like crescendo it. at the end. But well, watching... you just had to watch the whole race then, okay. didn't you? That's fine. Fine. You know, you had Jack Miller going into the weekend on the Ducati. I think, was he on pole? Don't know. I can't remember who was on pole. I didn't get past that BT Sport paywall. Of course you didn't, no, because you can't be bothered to pay 10 quid a month or whatever it is for BT Sport. But then again, if you're only watching it for um, a MotoGP, it's probably not worth it. But whereas I watch the rugby as well, it's a bit more you know, it's a bit more worth it. Um, but yeah, no, to me, to me, it was just sort of this, you know, there was lots of drama. Quattararo didn't finish. Jack Miller didn't finish. Um, you had... Mark Marquez, who just you know just come back from injury, and he was, you know, riding on the right side of the bike because it was an anti-clockwise. Is it anti-clockwise? Yes. 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 It's an anti-clockwise. Yeah, Philip Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and you know there was just lots of subplots and, and drama, and, and it all just sort of built up to the end. And you know, it, we found out that Suzuki wins a race, which we'll get to later in our <laughs> award ceremony. Um, but yeah, no, that's quite to me. It was just the best MotoGP race of the of the year, and my race. The... Now, I actually watched this. Good, I'm glad. Yeah, it's... why? Because you don't I watch mean, MotoGP. I, I yeah, I I decided a few weeks ago that I should probably watch a bit more bike racing. So I just went on YouTube, and on BT Sports YouTube channel, they have like three minute highlights of each race. So I watched the Australian Grand Prix highlights. Um, and I can confirm that yes, it was quite a good race. Thank you, Sam. From three so minutes, from, from the from three that. minutes that I saw, yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> let's go through the other mentions. Uh, F1 at Cota, of course, it had mainly it was interesting because of a botched pit stop from Red Bull. Otherwise, yep. it would be one of the most boring races of the year. Absolutely, it was. It was Verstappen hunting everyone down, really, wasn't it? Um, yeah, which. And the it had one of the most wholesome moments in Sebastian Vettel leading a race. Yes, which was nice, yeah. Which was and nice. it, had a, it had a big old wheelie from Fernando Alonso as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ah, this is funny. So uh, last year we mentioned the Moto3 crash at Cota. Um, That's how, true, we did. And uh, how how they got off lightly. No, we said, we said the penalty was too harsh. Uh, um, no, no, did we? Why would we say that? Was he was giving back a two-race penalty. I don't think we said he wasn't harsh enough. It was a ban, wasn't it? And we, he was banned for two races or something, yeah, for weaving. Said, yeah, that's right. We said it was um, not... Yeah, whatever. Uh, the fact is, then the same thing happened in F1, and we thought, you know, there's obviously not much penalty given to Stroll or Alonso. No. Well, I mean, I... Well, you can't really give Alonso a penalty. Yeah, no, I don't... I, mean, I think, if anything... I would. Well, that, yeah, no, <laughs> you would. Um, but no, I think, yeah, Stroll deserved a much more harsh penalty than that. I mean, that was ridiculous, really. Um, and it seemed, what well, actually, I'll tell you what was even more ridiculous, which we could have had for the seriously moment of the year, but we haven't, um, purely because I've only just thought of it, uh, is the fact that Alonso got a penalty. 
Oh, that's right, he did, yeah. He got a penalty for crash for being crashed into. Um, admittedly, it was essentially a mechanical flag, and he needed to pit because yeah, the car was broken. But so it didn't actually they, end up being a penalty. Yes, because they did it so late in the race. Like it was like the last two laps or something. They tried to call him in, yeah, and so it's been fighting for the entire race. Like, what yeah. are you talking about? Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I thought next one is the iRacing Daytona 24 Hours, uh, which Al did at the start of the year, and it was just yep. very, it was very enjoyable. Um, Al, you're not here, so you can't explain it further than that, but I enjoyed it, so there we go. Uh, next was the Spa 24 Hours, uh, the classic race that happened before the 24 Hours. Uh, I watched this, it had the Maserati MC12 in it, it was an excellent race. Yeah, I think I watched that part of it, and it was as well. Um, the Spa 24 Hour, I think that's a little bit like the Le Mans 24 Hour Classic, isn't it? Where it kind bit. of rotates. So although it's 24 hours, it's not actually the cars don't race for 24 hours no, they, because they they're ones, a bit old. Nobody would make it. These ones, yeah, the cars well, no, no, the MC12s would have made it. Yeah, the newer cars would. Down. The newer cars would have done. Yeah, but some of the older ones would have struggled. I think this um, was uh, celebrating like the last 30 years or something of. Uh, this type yeah. of SRO sort of thing but yeah they basically had the MC12 oh my god it was so fast like it was as fast as the modern GT3 cars um, mm. that was even with the skinny tiny stupid rear wing that they had they had to put on it rather they than always the... look a bit ridiculous don't they those yeah. tiny little rear wings if, on them if that GT1 MC12 had had its full rear wing it would have been faster than anything else that had been on track that weekend yeah um, yeah and it was just great to watch, um, and I loved it. So that's why I put it on there. Uh, and the last one, Sam, uh, do, do, do you want to um, explain this one? Uh, yeah, the the, um, the British Touring Car Racing Bug RC race. Um, yep. Now, this was something that I did. I took part in you, to Huber Sean. Yes, yeah, right. Um, Who else yes, took part in it? Um, uh, Sean took part in it. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, what, what happened? Um, I got taken out on the first couple of laps and then uh, had to fight my way back through uh, and nearly won the race. But, well, apart from that, you're two laps down. Yeah, uh, but we'll ignore that. Right, yeah. Um, but who won the race, Sam? I think it was you, Sean. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. It was me, yes. Yeah. Uh, and I won it by uh, about two seconds. You know, I just chased down one guy for the whole race. But, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it got to the point where I was essentially watching you more than <laughs> I was watching my own car. <clears throat> I think, uh, yeah, I made one of the best races of, of Brands Hatch that weekend. Yeah, um, well, maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, and I won the race, and it was great. I mean, it means I've now, with the racing bug, who I always see at Silverstone for the WC, uh, means uh, me, and between me and my mate Harvey, uh, we have never, ever, ever, ever lost a race uh, between us for the last seven or eight years. So, well done, us. There you go. Undefeated. Uh, yep, still undefeated. If anyone thinks they can beat me, uh, you can't. Uh, next up <laughs> is the rookie slash debutant, because Chris didn't like the word rookie last year, um, no. of the year. Uh, this is actually our smallest category because we couldn't think of many rookies. Well, there wasn't really a to avoid obvious choices. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We've forgotten the obvious one, but never mind. I don't think... Yeah, the obvious one I don't think is good enough to be mentioned, so. No, no. Uh, the I'll do this one. The nominations are Rio Hirakawa, Christian Lungard, Pedro Acosta, and Callum Eilert. And we've got a winner this time. Yeah, an actual Show winner. The front door. 
Cree. Oh, I know it was Rhea Hirokawa. Yes, it was. The... With sixty-six percent of the vote as well. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a super majority in Germany. It is, yeah. Um, yes, Rhea Hirokawa, uh, Toyota Kazoo Racing world champion now. Oh yeah, it was for his debut in the GR10. Yep. Um, I put I selected him for my choice because even with a team uh, car entry when it's free drivers, uh, if there is a weak link in the team, which a, a rookie to the series can easily be, mm-hmm. you've got the other car which is equal in every upper way, every single way, with in this case three very experienced drivers who could beat you if in the same machinery. And uh, Herikawa, I didn't. I didn't notice he was a rookie all year. He didn't drive like one. No, it, did nice it did kind of help that he was driving the year before a much <laughs> a significantly quicker car. What the Super Formula? Yeah, no, the Super the Super GT, the Supra. Oh right, yeah. He was in the AU Tons Supra last year. I mean, yeah, those those are quite quick cars. It's about same speed as LMP1. No, they're, they're quicker than LMP1. Well, they're quicker than hypercar. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure that yeah, they're quicker than hypercar. So. Yeah. Um, but either um, way, so just, but no, no, you're absolutely right. Like you know, he's <laughs> stepping into Toyota's Halo racing team. You know that GR10 team is Toyota's. You know, plinth. The thing they look at every year. It's the ability for a Japanese draft to take up the boots of, you know, to follow in the footsteps of uh, Kazuki Nakajima and. Um, Kamui. Kamui Kobayashi, you know, that's a big step up and he, and he took it in all in his stride. He never got to him and, you know, he ended with winning the championship and winning Le Mans. <clears throat> not a bad year. No, no, not a bad year. The reason I chose him, because I was. Sean was one of them, I was the other, was probably because I don't really think you can get a better rookie year. No. In honestly, you know, know. winning a world championship in your rookie year is pretty good, really, isn't it? Well, exactly, yeah. And I, you know, look across all of the categories, and in terms of stature, what's better, the F1, F1, maybe, you know, oh, yeah, it depends on what you indicar, maybe, yeah, you know. So, yeah, no, he was he was he was my choice as well. Uh, Sam, you picked Calamandas, I did because I know him and he's a nice guy. <laughs> We, we won't we'll cross over the fact he finished the 32nd in um, the Indy 500 and then 20th overall in the Indy Cup Championship. We'll I mean, I didn't think that was terrible in his first full season in Indy Cup. Yeah, but Christian Lingard um, did quite a Who was it? Was it Alex Polo or the Mexican? What, rookie year? Yeah, their rookie year. Did they not nearly win the championship? Uh, uh, Polo, wasn't it? Yeah. Is it Pereira that nearly won the championship? Yeah. So yes, finishing twentieth is certainly acceptable, Sam. Yeah, I mean he's still he's he's learning a lot of the tracks still though, and he's not raced in America before. Um, these are all the excuses I'm trying to make for it. Um, but uh, no, I think he did a pretty good job in a fairly small team it as well. Team. In the, you're right. Yeah, no, that's true. Hollinger. He's not like he's in Andresi or Penske as a rookie, is it? Like no, McLaughlin no. or like Palo. I think are the smallest um, full-time team. I would say, well, for a lot of the season, he was their only driver. Yeah, They were running one car, so it doesn't get much smaller than that, really. Um, so, yeah, I, that's why I think uh, he 
He did. He, I think he did a good job. I just think he did a good job. Yeah, um, that's fine. He, I mean, he got thrashed by Lungard, but that's not the point. <laughs> um, Lungard, likewise, yeah, did a good solid year for IndyCar. Nothing spectacular. I think he got a podium at one point, but um, no, nothing spectacular. Just did a solid job, and that's good. And then Pedro Acosta, Cree. What a year it could have been. What a year it could have been for Pedro Acosta. He is the next Mar Marquez, in, in my opinion. I mean, he started off the year a bit tentative, got injured in a training, and I'm using air quotes, training accident. Is it? It definitely involve, wasn't. Um, did it involve a dirt bike? It, it might have involved a dirt bike, and it might have in, involved <laughs> some training, in inverted commas. Um, so he was injured for about, ooh, I think it was a couple of months, came back, once again, had to pick up the pieces, almost like he was starting afresh. But by the end of the season, he was... There wasn't many people that could touch him. Even the champion... Oh, Christ, who was the champion? Come on, Sean, who was the champion uh, in Moto2? It, I... it wasn't Ayagora. He messed it up in Malaysia. Oh, it was the other one, then. Oh, it was the other one. <laughs> anyway, the other one. This is, this is <laughs> when, the cha- when the champion gets showed up by two other riders... <laughs> that you exactly. Ayagora should have won the championship, but he mucked it up in Malaysia by... Deciding that overtaking was the best idea when he was in a cha- not in a championship-winning position, but he would have been in an incredibly strong position Augusto going Fernandes. into the final round. Augusto Fernandez, thank you. But when you know Pedro Costa, bearing in mind he's only been on the bike for about half a season, turns up at Valencia, and in my opinion, he was the best rider out there. You know, being he beat Augusto Fernandez, I think he won the race, if memory serves me. He did, yeah. With Pedro Costa. He won three races this year in his rookie year in Moda 2. Exactly. In his rookie year, he won X, what was it? Did you say he was, won three, did he? Yep. Won three races in his rookie career, had half the season off because of a training accident. Um, and in my opinion, he should have won the championship. Just had slight, he not had his accident. Doing, uh, he's missed two races. Oh, did he only miss two? No. Oh, well. He's had three other retirements and a 20th place and a 16th place later on. Oh, no, sorry, four retirements. But yeah, he's 100 points down, but. Yeah, solid. He's easily top rookie. You're thinking yeah. of uh, you're thinking of Alonso Lopez, who's missed the first like six seasons. Six oh, is it him? Races. Yeah, because it's him and his team, Alonso Lopez and his team on the same bike. I can't remember his name. Who are looking at being the next big thing next year? But I can't see anybody beating Pedro Acosta next year. As long as he doesn't have a training accident, <laughs> uh, he'll be all right. Yeah. So there you go. And he he's going to be the next Mar- Marquez without a shadow of a doubt. Plus, he's also on a KTM number 37, which is what I was when I won uh, on Moto GP 2004. Congratulations. Uh, uh, you have Now I know who you made. Yes. Now, yeah, you've mentioned that before. He was the Moto 3 world champion. Um, sure. He should have won, no, won it. Not Sean, <laughs> no, not Sean Pedro Acosta. Yeah, Sean definitely was the Moto 3 champion. Yeah, uh, I thought so. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, I'm, I'm too old. That's one, two, fives. Yeah, no, he should he should have won it by a landslide, but he um slipped up at the end of the season. But like not that. With me or me or Acosta? Uh, both. <laughs> uh, let's move on to the next one, uh, which is another. There's only two more which are in contention, uh, and this one is the team slash manufacturer of the year. Uh, Sam, please give us the nominations. Yeah, so the uh, the nominations for team slash manufacturer of the year are Signatech Alpine, um, AF Corsa. Penske, um, Ducati for their MotoGP and World Superbike uh, programs, Dallara, Calsonic Impul, 
Red Bull Racing and Team Hard for the British Touring Car Championship. Is that because they let you into the garage? Partly. Maybe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but they also won the Jack Sears Trophy. They did win the Jack Sears. Um, right, so who did we pick? I picked Ducati for obvious reasons with Bautista and MotoGP as well. I have to say, from what I've the admittedly limited amount of World Superbike, well, I've not seen any World Superbike, but any the limited amount of MotoGP that I've seen, Ducati seem to have a, the best bike this year. Which is something we we discussed, Creed, a couple of weeks ago, which is something you'd never say 10 years ago. Uh, no, you wouldn't, Chris. Uh, but it kind of helps when four of the other teams also run Ducati. So in terms of like... Um, data back to the factory so you can make sure your bike's best, the best thing it's going to be in for the rest of the season. Having your factory team and then a semi-factory team and then two satellite teams kind of helps a bit. Yeah. I was just so how in MotoGP they have the, the factory team and then like some of them seem to have yep. this year's bike and some use last year's bike yep. and is that yeah, just so you have, Yeah, you kind of have a factory team and then you'll have like a satellite factory team. So in Ducati's case, it's Pramac. Right. And then so basically have, a B team. Yeah, a B team. Essentially, it's a B team. Yeah. Um, and then you'll have a satellite team that has, like, not last year's bike, but the year before, so like a 2019 bike, but they'll have bought it off Pramac. So it'll be like right. a Pramac X bike that they bought, which this year was uh, VR46, yep. I think. Yep. Uh, and then you'll have basically somebody who's turned up with a load of money, wants to race a Ducat, or wants to race a good bike, has a load of maybe either some rookies or some some legacy riders, and wants a bike, an easy bike to to ride, which traditionally in the past was the Yamaha, but has now yeah. turned out to be the Ducati. Um, and so it tends to be just somebody with a lot of money who just wants to be on the MotoGP grid, and they'll choose whichever was the best bike at the time. And in this case, it was either the 2018, I think was at the beginning of the season, they used the 2018 bike, uh, and then moved towards the 2019 bike towards the end of the season. But I can't remember the name of the team. So somebody have to remind me. Nope, can't do it. I just know that a few years ago, um, Pull and Bear, Ducati were the ones who had uh, Bautista as their year-old bike which really was just there to make up numbers and be good because it, they knew it worked. Mm. Um, yeah, MotoGP, MotoGP is... Do you remember the... Uh, oh, Grissini is... Sorry, it's Grissini is the factory second bike. What? Prima, is it not? Grissini no, Ducatis? So no, no, no. Yeah, Grissini were on Ducatis this Since year. Since when? Since this year. Wow. So no, Pramac is... No, they're kind of the same. Grissini and Pramac are kind of running the same bikes because obviously they've next year's second factory rider is uh, it's not Digi Antonio, it's the other one with the nice long name that I can't remember. Bastianini. Um, so Bastianini is next year's factory rider, uh, but you kind of have like the 2021 bikes will be with Grissini and Pramac, and then. The VR46 bike will be the 2019 or the 2020 bike. Yeah, right. Um, okay. And it tends to be we need to throw a bike at some rookies, which is the easiest to ride. <laughs> as, as, I, as I mentioned previously, it was traditionally Yamaha, but now yeah. it's Ducati. Yeah, five to ten years ago, again, it would not have been the Ducati <laughs> that you put. Uh, no, the only there was only one person that could ride the Ducati, and he retired. Yes, and um, then well, Tony Elias then... could, but that's because Tony Elias takes his brain out whenever he's on a bike. He um, does indeed. But anyway, uh, back to the actual uh, category, which I've forgotten. Yeah. Uh, yes, 
yeah, like I said, that's why I chose them because they made they finally made a great pair of bikes, and that's good. Uh, oh, Sam, Red Bull Racing. Yes, um, kind of faultless, really. <laughs> generally speaking, yeah, there was a few problems with maybe it. their uh, finances. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, if we gloss over their catering bill. Um, <laughs> I reckon they have a three million pound catering bill. Yeah, no, it, it would be all right. It's all the fact that they cheated coming into this year. Yeah, if, no, you, think, if you think about it, that is um, one million meal deals, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it's not because the meal deal is like three pounds. I say, yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's more than, it's, it's less than that. Million. It's two million meal deals. <laughs> not quite, no, well, not change. quite, but with yeah, with some change. Um, but uh, but yeah, there we go. Um, Throughout a season where Ferrari faltered a lot, you had Red Bull just sort of going, "Oh, we'll just take it in our stride." I yeah, mean, I mean, it, it just had to look at Christian Horner's attitude during all of its like interviews and so on. So I think did, did he look? Obviously, he would have been stressed in the background, but nowhere near as he was last year. No, like like the end of last year, you could tell that they were fighting hard. This year, it so again, hard that they lost control of their purse strings. Yes, um, but <laughs> um, but they they definitely seemed a lot more dominant this year, and they never they made a few mistakes here or there, as we mentioned earlier at Cota. There was one bodged pitch stop. There was um, the problems with uh, Max in Brazil, um, yeah, but generally that, that was driver, not team. Yeah, the, the team were trying to do the right thing there. It was the driver that ignored them. Um, but, well, I mean, yeah. You're right. You look at the beginning of the season where they had Bahrain, where they had a double, a double DNF from yeah. both cars. And, you know, they were not crisis, but they were kind of saying, they were kind of in a position of, we need to get our shit together or we're going to lose oh, yeah. this championship. Yeah. And they did. They picked themselves up, unlike Ferrari, picked themselves up, dusted themselves off, said, right, let's crack on. And they cracked on. And by mid mid season, they were quite clearly the dominant force and going to win the championship by a mile. The fact that yeah. Ferrari have said out, outright that they ran out of budget to develop their car and they were still slower than Red Bull at the end. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it's. Well, uh, we'll find out next year. This time next year, when twenty twenty three is over, and I then hope, the I hope they got some Ferrero Rochers with their. Uh, their sandwiches this year, Red Bull. <laughs> yeah, it was a very posh meal deal, wasn't it? <laughs> um, um, pre calsonic import Nissan. Yeah, I think. Can you see the theme on this one? Yeah, a little bit. There's a theme to this. Yeah. Uh, basically, the reason I've chosen them is they are calsonic import are the team that Bertrand that Bertrand Baguette drives for, and the team that run the championship winning Z GT500. Uh, the reason I chose it is because. For the past, so they've been running since 1994, where they ran the lovely, gorgeous, blue R32 Calsonic symbol <laughs> that's gone up the Goodwood Hill a few times and uh, around Basically, Goodwood. if someone doesn't know the Calsonic livery, then you're not a real motorsport fan. Uh, no, definitely oh, not. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Um, and in 1994, they won the championship in their first season, which is incredible. Uh, but for the next 17 years, they didn't win bugger all. They were lacking behind. They didn't, you know, they weren't factory-backed like the Mortal NSX team is this or nowadays. Um, and there was always the rivalry between the blue Nissan and the red Nissan. And it was always the red Nissan that won. Uh, whereas this year, they've turned themselves around, just did it off, got to grips with this brand-new car. You know, they've got a brand-new driver who used to race for Honda, so there's a bit of 
you know, maybe a bit of like, tension between him and, and the engineering team. You know, they've chucked that all in their stride and then produced a championship winning car. And to me, considering it's the first time in 17 years, that's that's a massive feat. Yeah, that's fair enough. I'm also yeah. biased, but that's just me. <laughs> Let's go through the other mentions. Uh, Team Hard, as we mentioned, uh, they won the Jack Sears Trophy. They certainly did. They also let us into their garage. Yes. Um, so thank you very much, Team Hard. We had a, we had a great but time. also, also worth mentioning for Team Hard, they run like six cars. Yeah. It's quite impressive to be running that many cars in British Touring Car. Uh, and different models. They run different makes and models as well. They have Are they not three in... or something as well. Yeah, they run Ginettas, they run a Porsche. Um, they're in everything. They do GT Cup. Um, I think they've got a few drivers. In fact, um, Callum Jenkins raced with Team Hard in the Ginetta Super Cup and in the GC Cup. Um, so they do run Ginettas. They run Porsches. They've got loads of different cars, basically. Uh, varying levels as well. They sponsor a lot of drivers that are coming through. Um, they have their scholarship program, which is always good as well. Um, for those drivers trying to make an impact. Um, and, yeah, I think it, it's it's pretty impressive what they do, even if they're not necessarily always at the sharp end. They have a big impact on the sport, let's face it. Yep, that's cool. Uh, and they got some recognition with the Jack Sears Trophy for Bobby Thompson. Yes, they did. Um, Cinetech Alpine, I put on there because I did. <laughs> Uh, but, no, it's because they were the only team that took it to Toyota yes, and they nearly did. won the championship they did, and it was in an, an ancient now LMP could you imagine how embarrassing so it would have been for the SRO WEC and Toyota if Signatech Alpine in a grandfather car won the hypercar class it would have been it would have been hilarious difficult. and also disastrous I don't know if it would have been disastrous, but it would have been embarrassing. It would have been the same as like in the nineties when the the wrong Porsche won, for example, um, or the McLaren won actually. But uh, that's not yeah, the, um, yeah. But no, that's of course the last time we'll see an LMP one car ever again. Yeah, so that's cool that they've well, not ever again. You'll see it in like historic racing, but in terms of like real racing, top level motorsport, yeah, not in current level world championship Ooh. racing. Yeah. Uh, likewise, AF Corsa, I mentioned it before, they won the championship in GTE, mainly through um, their team ability, let's call it that, rather than necessarily. <laughs> yeah. um, again, AF Corsa do run a lot of stuff, they're much bigger than they were like 15 years ago, they're not, they're not just the Ferrari, not at all works team. Well, you've got to think they would have had in the back of their mind the fact that we'd be taking on the 499 project. Yep. They've been so they're not just thinking about GT3 now, they're thinking about Hypercar and the Ferrari project going forward. Yeah, that's fair. <clears throat> they ran uh, the LMP2 car this year uh, to get ready for uh, the Ferrari next year. Yep. Um, I have full faith in them for next year, so we shall see. Of course, I think they're going to do a good job. Um, likewise, Penske, 1, 2 and 4 in the IndyCar Championship this year. Yep. Great job. It's, yeah, very good job. They always do well. They're still racing in... Uh, are they still racing in supercars as well in Australia? I think they are, aren't they? I'd be surprised they're not. They're racing in um, Formula E. I think. They are racing in Formula E, and they're also racing in NASCAR. So, um, again, a lot of cars in a lot of different series and a lot of different drivers. They're also doing... Um, they did uh, the DPIs this year, I think. They did, yeah. And they are doing LMDH next year yes with porsche um which will be very interesting 
Um, so again, yeah, Penske, very, very worthy of being on the nominations. Yep, and just again, because it's tradition, it pissed off Cree last year, I also put Delara on here. Yep. Because they make great cars. Right, let's move on to the next category. Uh, this one has a winner. Good. It does. Uh, the most pointless innovation of the year, which is my favourite category. I, uh, yeah, I quite like this one as well. This one's a lot more tame than it has been in previous years, though, for the nominations. Uh, We've got a... I mean, I feel like last year we had like 19 nominations <laughs> for this. <laughs> well, yeah, but last year it was uh, was it Lance Stroll's graphic or something? Did the only overtake? No, yeah, yeah. That's, that's funny. <laughs> um, who would like to do this one? Me I'll read this one out. You just read the last read. one. Oh, go on then. Go on then. Okay, so the nominations are uh, Formula One's point system, the one that they've uh, not not the main point system, of course, but they're uh, shortened ones for shortened races. Or oh, that's what they want you to think. Um, oh, do you mean Japan? Crazy. Yes. Come on. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, Formula One's opening ceremony at round five of the championship in Miami. Uh, the BTCC hybrid system, which I completely disagree with, but Cree can get onto that in a minute. Um, Formula E's Gen 3 car, which hasn't even raced yet, um, <laughs> but has been doing testing this week, <laughs> and I'll get to that in a minute. And uh, more bloody graphics in Formula One. Um, yes, my particular hatred this year is the the distance bar that they put across the entire screen. Um, big green arrow, and I hate it. I hate all the graphics in Formula One. Get rid of them. Show me the bloody race. I don't want fucking graphics all over the screen. <laughs> Sounds like a you problem, that one. <laughs> well, I think it's really funny when she all gets wound up about the graphics because... <laughs> I quite some of them I think are quite useful. I think the Halo the, the okay. one the Halo one is good. That one I like. Uh, the other one, what's the other one? Um, the one you really dislike is the Mario Kart system, and I quite yes. like it. No, it's crap. It's crap. No, why? I'm not a fan of where yeah where they. I th I like the fact that. Well, I don't like the fact that they assume there's no knowledge. With that, with that Mario Kart style, look who's in front of this driver. Because we should, you, know, you should be able to tell if you're on board with Pierre Gasly and the car in front of him is Daniel Ricciardo, that the car in front of him on the screen is Daniel Ricciardo. Oh, you see, um, now I think that's specifically for David Croft. Well, that, or, <laughs> or two-year-olds who play their F1 games with a bloody name above the car. Yeah. I hate it. I've always hated it since I was like four, five, four. <laughs> Five because I'd have had F1 1996 when I was about that age. So, yeah, I hate it. Get stuff off the screen. I'm not. <laughs> I want to see the race. I don't want to see fucking graphics. Anyway, that well, you didn't choose that though, did you? No, sure. also, did you also, choose? also didn't win the award. Um, the award for most pointless innovation of the year, apart from graphics, um, was F1's opening ceremony at round five. <laughs> yeah. This is at Miami, wasn't it? The Miami Grand Prix. Yes. But the thing, and if it had, you know what? It's a new venue. And if they had said, this is the opening ceremony for the Miami Grand Prix, you'd go, yeah, fine. That makes sense. The first one ever. Cool. Not a problem. But it wasn't. It was the opening ceremony for Formula One. I was like, no, you, there's been four races already. And this is not like, uh, like the Olympics or something that happens every four years or whatever. This happens every single year, and it happened half, no, not quite halfway through because we have a lot of races now. But like, like a, a, a month or two, wasn't it? 
Yeah, at least at least sort of six weeks to two months in. Um, it which just seems pointless. And, it was and, and it was awful. It was not nice. Yeah, it wasn't well done. It was a bit dreary. Um, the Miami. <laughs> it just wasn't brilliant. Really? Did you? It was just it? yeah. Uh, no, I didn't watch. It. I didn't even realize it was on. Oh, it's awful. So, nah, I'm, I'm quite glad I didn't watch it now. I didn't so, waste yeah. half an hour of my life. I, I, it was more than half an hour. <laughs> it was more than half an hour. I, yeah. I, I managed to survive 10 minutes, and I thought, no, that's really my most pointless thing of the year. I think, yeah. I, I saw some of it. I didn't watch all of it, and I was mostly flicking through my phone because I was bored. But oh, it's um, just, oh, I mean... It, it's when they brought the bloody W Series girls on there, they trotted them all onto the stage, then talked to Jamie Chadwick only, and then made them all trot off again. Yeah, yeah, the vast majority of the drivers didn't get spoken to at all. Yeah. Not only in the W Series, but in the Formula One as well. Um, and yeah, it just it was not necessary, yeah. and it definitely wasn't necessary to be televised. No. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, Sky did not need to televise that. There was no need for it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, one, uh, whatever. Anyway, that won the award. Cree, <laughs> uh, you picked uh, the BTCC hybrid system. And you're wrong. You are wrong. Why am I wrong? Why? Because it's brilliant. It's not. It is. I watched, like, I watched a fair few BTCC races this year, and it didn't do anything. It didn't add anything to the sport. It put weight on the cars. It increased the cost of the cars to run. Like, t- tell, no. me a, tell me a situation during the BTCC season where the hybrid system was... The be all and end all for the race. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. It's because the ballast system is now is now not there, so you get pure racing. Yes. So because, no, because you don't get weight, a weight penalty. Yeah, yeah you get a, a boost reduction instead. So yeah, the guys at the front are less likely to see the the smaller people win the race. I don't know. No, you won't because you should. It should be the other way around because the guys towards the back of the grid in the championship will have, have got more boosts. So somewhere like Brands Hatch Indy, for example, they could yeah, basically the be on the boost for the entire the entire lap. The boost doesn't do anything though. It does. You can it see the difference. No, it doesn't. You can't. You, no, you can't. Can. No. I don't know if it maybe doesn't come across on the TV, but certainly trackside, you can see the difference. The ITV implementation of how to identify when the system is active is a lot of shit. Oh, yeah, no, that is shit. Yeah. system on the car. So it's like, oh, yeah, look for the bolt on the rear window of the car. The cars are going past so bloody quickly, and it's such a small, stupid yeah. bolt. You can't fucking see the system at all. Yeah, would you're, say you're, right, you're right on that. Touring car needs to change how they show it because that is difficult to see, um, and the cars are very quick. And light up the top screen of the mirror, uh, top windscreen. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think no, a, LED bar. a big blue square. Or yeah. something. Yeah. Uh, on the front, so, it me, needs to be on the front of the car. Yeah, yeah. To me, the idea was it's meant to be sort of a system that obviously it brings BTCC into the modern era by giving it hybridization, which is good to see, but it just. It's, it didn't innovate the racing. It didn't bring anything to the racing, and in my opinion, it took away from the racing. I, I, yeah, I, I do. I genuinely, I disagree. I think it's a, it's a thing. It's another tool that the drivers have to be able to provide more overtaking. If they can boost at a certain point, and they can boost whenever throughout the lap, just for a certain amount of time. 
so they can line it up with their best overtaking opportunity and just get that overtake done. Um, and let's face it, Touring Car does not lack overtaking generally. No, oh, that's why he didn't need it. But this is but this is helping. This is helping the smaller drivers to do those overtakes. No. Um, anyway, it doesn't matter because it didn't win. Formula E's <laughs> Gen 3 car. Now, it's been testing this week. And, yep. Uh, yep. A, you don't like the Formula E car Gen 3 because Cooper is in it. No, that's got nothing to do with it. No, of course not. Um, the car looks awful. It does look terrible. It, does, it looks horrendous. It's quick. It does look it's quick. Not quick. It's not quick. It's okay, not, it's, it's got... much quicker than the old car. No, it's not. No, it's not, Sam. It's, it's is it not? It's, it's no, a, it's not. Even though it's a hundred kilos lighter and has, or is it thirty kilos? It's, it's a lot lighter and also more powerful. It's only a couple of tenths faster than the old car. Oh, well, that's disappointing. And then you have all everyone who's been told by the media guys, "Oh, we need to defend the car." Quickly go to the press, and everyone going. It's unfair to judge the car on its first week compared <laughs> compared to um, the last gen car. Bollocks, is it? It's an yeah. ugly bastard, and it's not even quick. The whole point of this new one was to say, "Oh, look how quick it is!" And it's not quick. It looks stupid. Mm. It's not quick, and I can't wait for it to crash. Now, say, so I, I guess we will return to this for next, next year. year's awards <laughs> and see if it wins it then. Yes. Um, Two years in a row nomination. You do kind of wonder where Formula E is going. Like when it started, down the pan. Well, yeah, down the pan. I wasn't going to say that, but yes, down the pan. Um, when it started, it was a good innovation. Like you know, it was the fir- one of the it? first single seat. It well, it kind of opened the door to electric racing. You know, well, it well, opened the door. And said, Shut up! No, 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 by saying that it was possible. Okay. Not necessarily the fact he didn't have because it was never you're never going to have a car out the block that's going to be as good as a GT3 car or as fast as a Formula One car. Well, yeah, because the technology doesn't exist. When it was there, what? Nobody asked for that. Yeah, but yeah, the, the way that society is going is society is asking for it, not necessarily a single person. But when it started, it was a, it was the gateway to saying we can do electric racing. You know, motorsport can continue in the distant future under electrification. However, as the years have gone on, it's gone through this iteration. I, and probably like most people after the first car, would have thought that by the third car, you could make your own car. You were just limited by the actual power pack that was put in the car. You could have your motors. You could do your own aero. You know, the whole idea was you'd have a spec car at the beginning, and then after subsequent seasons, the doors would open up to be more and more... Open. Yeah. So you might even if... having having a Porsche-looking single-seater or a Maserati-looking single-seater. Yeah. Even if you series. had those those manufacturers then providing customer cars, so there was three or four teams running the Maserati or whatever yeah. it was. Well, they did Not really. I mean, they, they, they had to play about with the powertrains, didn't they? But, like, it's not as if... Yeah you could buy a drastically different Cupra to the Porsche or oh, whatever right, it that's is. What you're yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, if you think about, like, uh, admittedly, it's a while ago, granted, but F1 in the 60s, you could buy a Formula 1 car from Lotus, but you wouldn't necessarily run as Team Lotus. You would run as whatever team name you wanted to run as. You could run as a privateer if you really wanted. Um, but you could buy an entire car and go racing. Um 
Whereas you don't do that in, well, you do to a point do it in Formula E, I guess, because you're still buying the car, but you're buying it from Formula E, not from the manufacturers that are paying to be there, which I think kind of defeats the point. I also think it defeats the point of the fact it's all, the innovations are in the software, which you don't see. Yes, that's trouble. That is yeah, trouble. Why is one car at the beginning of the season awful, but then halfway through the season, it's the fastest thing on the road? I don't know. Like, well, there's, you can't see any development because it's got it's not a visible development. It's all yeah. you know, software-based. Anyway, what's the next one? Oh, you've mentioned the bloody F1 graphics. Yeah, the last one was uh, the F1 point system, which uh, we sort of discussed before. Uh, it was a sham. I think it was, yeah, I think it was quite a calm discussion. Yeah. yeah, it was a sham. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, moment of the year. Yes, let's go to the moment of the year. Uh, yeah. Cree, what are the uh, nominations? Uh, so, moment of the year was W Series cancelled <laughs> the remaining three races because it ran out of money, which I think is a shame because, you know, it, 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 the, the, the meaning behind it was there. The execution definitely wasn't, which is why I think the new female series that F1's running, the meaning isn't, the, or the, the implementation might not be the best way to do it, but I think it'll still be pretty good. Anyway, uh, the second one is Magnussen's pole in Brazil, the Baikola's Van Wall test, Mark Marquez coming back from surgery and putting it on pole in Mitegi, uh, the NASCAR wall ride on the last lap of, is it Bristol? Um, no, but we'll come to that. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, and then the McMurtry-Goodwood-Hill climb re- record run, yep. which smashed the IDR, which was quite funny because the IDR had took two years to do it. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then smashed it in its first year. And that is why... Do you remember, really? the, time? Do you remember the time? Anybody? Uh, 40... No, it was 39.03. I meant, I meant 30. <laughs> yeah of course uh, I don't know why you've decided to overrule our entire point system and given it the um, and the winner of moment of the year was the McMurtry Goodwood well, Hill because, Club because Sam picked that on the NASCAR thing and I agreed with him on this one you could have had two choices that was his problem yeah, I couldn't decide I couldn't decide <laughs> do you know the thing Mark Marquez has spent two my choice was Mark Marquez because he spent like Two years recovering from an injury that, in fair enough, he did it to himself. But he came back. I mean, the first time he came back, he won straight away at Saxon Ring in 2020, I think. 2020, 2021. And he does it again, goes back through surgery, goes through all the rehab, gets back on the bike. Two races later, he sticks it on Paul in Mategi. Oh, no. It was incredible. I was delighted. It was. It was, in, it was the most ridiculous thing in the world. And that's clearly not moment of the year. No, Some I'm... small little electric car going up a hill. Faster than It's the moment of the year. Yeah. whoop to do <laughs> I, I, I think Creed disagrees, Sam. I think he might, yes. Never mind. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Should we talk about matter, the McMurtry? Yes. The McMurtry is the wicked. It's a brilliant little car it looks amazing but it's tiny and it's got how much downforce was it i did hear the stat um essentially it's a fan car i think it was 150 million tons it's two tons two tons of downforce at like one mile an hour which is incredible really two tons a thousand brake horsepower and under a thousand kilos thousand kilos yeah thousand kilos yes it's not a thousand grams is it 
No. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, it, it might not be far off. It is very little. I'm surprised, Sean, you've backed that one. Because who was the driver? Uh, Max Chilton. Yeah. yeah. You're not a massive fan of him. No, I'm not. But he did a great job. No. I did say at the time, imagine a time if a real driver <laughs> drove that car up the hill. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually, weirdly, a few months after this, I met Max Chilson um, and I asked him, a Stelvio exclusive, uh, which felt quicker, the Indy 500 or the McMurtry hill climb up at Goodwood? Uh, and he said, hands down, the McMurtry. He's he say, I mean, he was standing next one, to the McMurtry, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> that's probably he's why. He's um, a piece of paper and said, what am I on about? It's actually the IndyCar. <laughs> I think I can kind of understand that, though, because it, when you look at the, the, the course at Goodwood, it is very tight and very narrow, and you're going very quick still. Um, whereas at Indy, it, you kind of lose the sense of speed because everyone's yeah. doing 230 mile an hour. Yeah, and I mean, it's big and at, there's plenty of space. At the super speedways, I think it's about 20 odd meters wide on the straight yeah. sometimes. Goodwood so, is probably four or five yeah. in some places. Yeah. Um, well, when you go past the is, wall, it's like one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Some, of, some of the bigger cars struggle to get through the corner of Flintwall, mm-hmm. let alone take it as anywhere near as quick or as committed as you can in that McMurtry, which is a very, very impressive thing. It, yeah. It's actually, I, it's it's one of the cars of the year, really, isn't it? It's not a race car, so it doesn't get nominated, but it's a very impressive car. Yeah. Yeah. And for the, such a small company, I think, as well, very, very impressive. Yes. Let's talk, let's talk about the other nom- nomination, which got a selection, which was the NASCAR wall thing that happened. Yes, Ross Chastain um, at Phoenix. Um, so, uh, sorry, yeah, not Phoenix, Martinsville. Um, and this got him into the playoffs. And basically, I'm sure most people have seen it because it seems like everybody has seen it. Um, he basically didn't lift. Like, this is not a flat-out super speedway. This is a fairly small, I think it's a, it's a mile and a half, mile and a half maybe. Um, so quite a small one by comparison, um, and needs generally they would break and probably downshift for the corners. I think you're down two, don't they? Quite possibly. I mean, the, the new cars are, are five speed, <laughs> so maybe it's two now. Um, but uh, yeah, and on the final lap, he was out of the right the positioning to get into the playoffs. So, so it was. So he, it was now or never, and he did a video game style wall ride um, he where he basically didn't lift. Yeah, and I, I, I think it is kind of cheating to be totally honest, but there's no rule against it. So <laughs> yeah, because not stupid enough to do it. Yeah, and I mean, he he has even said, "I will definitely not be doing that again." It was incredibly painful. Um, <laughs> Because obviously, not only is he slamming into the wall at 150 mile an hour repeatedly for probably two to three hundred meters, uh, he's also the g-force of that, and obviously the impact. Yeah, he said, "I definitely won't be doing it again." And I think NASCAR are going to change the rules uh, re- around it so that it's not allowed to happen again. 
but at the time it was legal and therefore <laughs> you are therefore the results stood and he got into the playoffs and he didn't do that well after that to be totally honest but it was in oh mate when i saw that video i was like what is that what has he done <laughs> i mean it was comically fast compared to everybody else wasn't it like yes. you could it was i mean he gained about five places he was well out of it well out of position for, to get through to the playoff and he just went you know what fuck it let's go and he did <laughs> He said, um, he, said it was, he said it was from like NASCAR 2004 or something, didn't he? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I think he said it was on the N64 or something. He used to play this game, and he, him and his brother used to do that move um, <laughs> to try and get a few more places. And and he thought, well, you know what? Why not? Let's just go for it. And yeah, yeah actually, it miraculously worked. Um, uh, speaking but, of, uh, of miraculously uh, yeah. working, by Collez. Their van wall, their car, even though, whatever, it's done some testing and it's my moment of the year, apart from the other one I picked. So there we go. Uh, Kevin Magnussen got pole position for Haas uh, Brazil, which is probably. Only did, which is. Probably Formula One. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, it was was definitely one of the moments. I think the best part of that was the slow realization in Q3 when they all did their first run. Yeah, and then the slow realization of about three minutes of going, he's actually on pole. He's actually just going <laughs> yeah. and done it. It wasn't as if he was crowd. He got the pole position while he was on the track either, was it? He was still in the garage. <laughs> um, and and I thought it was quite funny how with like about, I think it was about two minutes to go. I think some of the the, the engineers and the mechanics started to realize. Hang on a minute. It's I think raining. we've got this. It's raining hard and no one's going to go quicker even if they do go out. No one's going out. I think we've got pole, um, which a, was lovely. I love that. As Steiner would say, we look like legends. Yes. I mean, I swore literally 30 seconds ago, so <laughs> you probably could have sworn then, Sean, well, but I appreciate okay. that. doesn't matter. Um, um, but yeah, I yeah I think it was great for a, for we all like to see the underdogs do well, yes. don't we? And let's face it, uh, 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 unless they're the W series. Let's move on to the next category. Um, <laughs> Sam's favourite category. Yes, uh, the seriously moment of the year. You have which, to say it in that tone of voice. The first no, time he, the first time he put his suggestion on. Anyway, uh, Sam, go ahead. Now, so we have um, two lots of. McLaren contract disputes the first of which is Alex Palau and McLaren and uh, Chip Ganassi Racing in, in IndyCar uh, and the second of which is Oscar Piastri and McLaren and Alpine in Formula 1 um, Mark Marquez coming back from his surgery uh, Suzuki leaving MotoGP with a race winning bike um, Glickenhaus just generally uh, Mattia Binotto being fired uh, the Japanese Formula One Grand Prix, uh, the Autosport Awards, um, and that's British Touring Car Porsche Super Cup, uh, Porsche Carrera Cup GB crash, uh, where the, the car landed in a tree. <laughs> um, and the award and, goes to... And the winner yeah, of the seriously moment of the year is Suzuki for leaving MotoGP with a race winning bike. What well on Suzuki. Well, well done, I just, it kind of comes, it comes back to my race of the year at Australia. 
you know, I think it was a couple of weeks before the Australian Grand MotoGP Grand Prix, Suzuki announced that they were leaving. So you had this, you know, this disastrous moment of, of the story unfolding of Suzuki, you know, handing in their resignation as it was to 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 FEMA. Is it FEMA? Uh, FIMA? FIM, FIM. FIM. Saying, you know, we're going to leave the championship. And then Rins, who has looked nowhere, he's not looked... You know, he was a 2020 world champion. No, not Rins. And he's not looked... Oh, was it not Rins? It was the other one. Mayor. Oh, was the other one. The other one that won the Valencian Grand Prix. One Mayor. One Mayor. Yeah. You know, they've just been essentially sacked. They haven't got jobs for next year. Turn up at Australia, bit down in the dumps. Uh, and then go and win the race. And then at the end of the season, come Valencia, Johan Mir goes and wins the last race of the season. And you just sat there. You just sat there going, what is Suzuki doing? Like, you've, yeah. you've left the season. You've put all of this money. You've won the World Championship <laughs> in 2020. You know, you've put all of this money and energy into this race-winning bike, and then you just decided, nah. Fuck it. Just going to leave it there for this year, lads. See it's you later. Like, it's like we said a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's just the fact they don't do anything else either. It's not like they're no. more super bikes. No, it's not like... I mean, you can imagine if, like, Ducati decided, you know what, this motor... No, Kawasaki did it. In yeah. the early in the 2000s, Kawasaki did it because they were terrible yeah. in MotoGP. They decided, you know, this world superbike lark, we're doing all right there, so why don't we give it a crack there? Funny enough, they set the foundations and Johnny Ray, Johnny Ray won seven world championships in a row, pretty much. The funny bit was then the fact that Hayate bought the old Kawasaki and did a better job as an independent than the factory. He did. <laughs> he did. Marco Melandri was on that bike, I There's remember a that. great, yeah. The black bike it, with the white yeah. lettering. Oh, it's gorgeous. Yeah, and you just sat there going, what are you doing? Like, what are you I doing? Think, I, I think this is worse. I mean, I, would agree. I think this is worse as well, because the Kawasaki bike wasn't a race-winning bike. It was nowhere no. near a race-winning bike. The Suzuki is a great package. Oh, it might not be a qualifying bike, but come the race, it's probably the fastest bike out there. But yeah, I'm behind the, the, the Ducati, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's the seriously, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, much like McLaren, hey Sam. Yes, uh, McLaren have been up to all sorts this year, um, <laughs> breaking contracts left, right, and centre. Um, but the one that I nominated them for was Oscar Piastri and the Alpine debacle. Yeah. Um, so uh, essentially, this was all caused, or mostly caused, by uh, <laughs> initially Sebastian Vettel for retiring, and then Fernando Alonso going. Well, I'll take your seat then, basically, and kind of leaving Alpine in the lurch because clearly they weren't necessarily expecting Alonso to be leaving and going to Alf, uh, Aston Martin. So what do they do? They're going to bring their reserve driver in, the driver they've been training in Formula 2 and Formula 3 for the last several, like three or four years probably, yep. Oscar Piastri, the Australian driver. So they announced it on... Uh, on Instagram and the social medias of Oscar Piastri to drive for Alpine next year. And then Oscar Piastri went, no, I'm not. <laughs> Which was intriguing because he hadn't announced where he was going, but why would you turn down the fourth a, a race, a race drive in the fourth best car, which is also the team that you're in the Academy for. Why would you turn that down? Unless you have, what, in your opinion, is a better offer 
and he just kind of left everybody on red for like a few weeks and then went oh yeah by the way i'm going to mclaren <laughs> so i think i can't I, mclaren had already announced at this point that ricardo wasn't going to be racing for them next season i think hadn't they yes and obviously lando was confirmed so everyone was like okay well maybe piastri's going there then that wouldn't be a bad fit uh and then yeah it was confirmed so piastri to mclaren um <laughs> which then left again left alpine a bit in the lurch uh it lost two and drivers from, in 24 hours basically essentially yes two drivers in 24 hours um, one of which hadn't even raced for the team yet. Um, <laughs> I mean, in fairness to Piastri and McLaren, Alpine's contract for Piastri was basically a contract written on a napkin. It was about, <laughs> as happy a contract as you could ever get. So they had all the right to go and speak to McLaren and sign a contract. Absolutely. As far as he was concerned, you know, he wasn't going to get a, a race seat anytime soon, so he just decided, ah, just sort well, this, I'll just go and teach, speak to McLaren. And funny the enough, there you go. If the contract had said you will have a race seat in 23, that would have been fine. But it yeah. didn't. They they sort of like towed him along a bit. Oh, you might get it, you might get it, but with the fully aware they're going to give it to Alonso again. Um, and he went, nah, screw this, and then went to go talk to McLaren. Um, exactly. But what made it funny was that literally a couple of weeks beforehand, the same story, more or less, had happened with Alex Pelot in, uh, in IndyCar. Yes, with McLaren again. Yes. Uh, <laughs> where I think it was it was the other way around with this one, though, wasn't it? Alex Pelot wanted to announced he was going to McLaren, and then Ganassi went, no, you're no, not. You're not. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, Ganassi have things called lawyers. So they write, yes. con- they, they write contracts really well, being American. They write them properly, yes. Um, uh, and, uh, so I think he's ended up the going bit, back. Yeah, the best bit at the end was that we're going, I'm really happy to be driving for Ganassi next year. I really am. <laughs> yeah. uh, it ruined his season, Pillow. It Well, yeah, it would do, wouldn't it? If if all of your mechanics were like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, yeah. Obviously, they're not going to be pulling for you if they think you're definitely leaving at the end of the year and try to lie to the team. Yeah. Um, it's not going to go well, is it? Um, stupid. Um, anyway. Incidentally, have you seen who McLaren's reserve driver is for Formula One next year? No. Alex Palau. No, it's not. It is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and wow. as reserve driver, unless I'm incorrect, as reserve driver, he has to be at every race. Uh, no, he doesn't. No, ah, okay. Doesn't. They need to have a reserve driver every race so he can. Okay, so. Fine. Um, so they might have another one somewhere, but yeah. Yes. Uh, let's see the the other nominations. Uh, Mark Marquez coming back from surgery. Cree, we discussed this one. Um, it, it seemed ridiculous. He's just too. mad. He's just Why a mad man. I don't know. I mean, like everybody was saying, I can't remember which race did he come back from. It wasn't. Was Mategi the first was it race? One of the Spanish races, like Aragon or something. Oh, we might have been Aragon. But anyway, everyone was saying, "Oh, don't come back for this race." Wait, no, it was Mategi because it. No, it was Thailand because it was everyone saying, "Come back after all of the." flyaway races had finished and it was like thailand japan and then malaysia was in a row yeah and they were saying just come back for valencia you know don't risk it just come back for valencia now marquez was just like what are you on about <laughs> and he just decided you know i'll just i'll ride from thailand see how it goes yeah and then he just decided to you know thought oh yeah, this is all right and then jumped on a bike in japan and as i said earlier he stuck it on pole but the thing just is like, seriously like you're just mad 
but it's more and the fact I put it on this list on this category was because it's such a risk. If he'd had one Massive crash, he he might have lost his arm. Well, he did have a few in fairness. I think yeah, he had if one he had or two. A really big one. Like yeah, if he like, have. yeah, like the one he had in Jerez a couple of years ago that actually got him in this mess. Well, if he'd had one of those high side, yeah, it would have been mad. Or was it Thailand twenty twenty one where he had a mad one as well? Yeah, that was. I don't know about yeah, that one, I, so it I, must I, have been a fairly major one. Um, his original one back in the day, Magello, coming to turn one, that was a huge one. He's had loads of huge crashes. Oh, Argentina, he had a big one. Um, yeah. If he had one of those, he could have lost a man. Oh, oh absolutely, yeah. That would have been game over. But no, he's a mad lad. Um, really is a mad lad. Other mad lads are Glickenhaus, who uh, for the second year running have uh, started a WC season, WC season, and then not finished it. So good on them. Uh, this is also sort of for Al because I know that he would have put him put him on the list. Um, Matteo Bonotto being fired. I think this is a seriously moment of the year. Ferrari comes second. This is their best season yeah. for like ten years. I was not expecting this when I saw this headline. I was. I don't understand. I mean, I I, I, I understand it, but I think it's a I massive kind of, overreaction. I, yeah. I say I kind of get why, but at the same time, I don't think really the problems that Ferrari have had can fall really with entirely with with Binotto. I think that comes down to a bigger problem with the structure of the team and the strategists. I don't think he is this. I mean, I could be wrong. I don't know the ins and outs of how Ferrari work, obviously, but I don't think he is making strategy decisions on the fly because surely there is strategists to do that that have all of the relevant information and are still getting it wrong um i yeah i don't think it's necessarily deserved that he was sacked um and and i've said i said but i suppose we will see next year but i don't think uh, frederick vassar is a a tier replacement no, but he's a solid replacement, and that's what they need. They just need a solid man at the top to man the helm, and then everything else will fall into place. I think Vasseur is a very good um, choice as a team principal, in my opinion. Well, I suppose, I suppose I, he, actually... did, he did better than Misha Kaltenborn, so I'll give him that at Salva. <laughs> he took Salva, did really well in 2013, was it? 2012, 2013, when they had Perez and Kamui Kobayashi. Did really well. Manish Kaltenborn decided, oh, I'm going to. Struck no. my stuff. You're thinking of Destroy- uh, Peter Salva here, mate. But okay. No, Peter Salva, yeah. Peter Salva did really well. Then Manish Kaltenbold took over because Peter Salva retired. Again. And then the team just went down the drain. And then Vasseur uh... came in, got them on the right track, got them going in the right direction. And at the beginning of this season, they were, what, the sixth, seventh fastest team? Considering, in, was it 2020, when they had the probably one of the best liveries? With one of the worst cars as well. But yeah, with one of the worst cars. And you know, what they scored like one point or something. I think Vassar is going to be a strong leader, which I think is what Ferrari are after. They're after. You remember Maurizio Arrivewell, as his name translates to. Uh, yeah. The Marlboro man. I think they need maybe not his temperament, but his firmness, which is what yeah, I, think I, I, would... I think Vassar will give them. Yeah, I think Bonotto was too. He's, he's, he's just a nice engineer. That's what uh, I was going to say, he is, and he is an engineer. First and foremost, he's worked for Ferrari for something like 25 years. And he's worked his way up and 
from an engineer and working under Ross Braun with with Michael Schumacher and Jean Jean Todd and and all of those immensely uh, successful people for Ferrari. And he's worked his way up and he's done his job well and he's been promoted and promoted and then he's got the top job. Uh, and he's how long has he been there? Five years. Yeah, a while now, isn't it? Um, when Arriva Bene was uh, again, he was sacked. Was sacked, sacked. Yep. Um, yeah. Was so the, cars, the team were doing terribly back then. But yeah, and, but it, like we said, he is the second best team really. Yeah. Uh, cons- consistently this year, they made some pretty odd decisions at times. Granted, um, but generally they've been pretty good and the car's pretty good so it seems like an odd decision this also kind of caused something that we haven't really seen or i certainly haven't really seen before which is a silly season for team bosses oh, that's stupid. Um, we'll talk about that another time but um other stupid things japan f1 uh grand prix yeah oh, the whole event the whole event was just stupid the oh what what the fia were doing in terms of organisation and sort of um, the structure of the way they worked. I mean, it was pissing down with rain. This race should never really have started when it did. It should have been a rolling start. Uh, and then why they didn't throw a red flag immediately as soon as Carlos Sykes crashed, beyond belief. So, yeah. just And then the handling of the, the truck and everything is just like, did they not learn from three years or not three years ago? However many years ago it was. Now. Yeah, it's now. a while ago now. But yeah. You're just suddenly going like, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, also, what are you doing? Autosport Awards. Wink. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, really. The whole reason for this podcast. <laughs> you're, you're just saying, guys, I, I, I hope they're listening because it'd be funny. Um, your list sucks this year. <laughs> I, yeah. know, I, I know it's partly public vote, but it's wrong. Watch some more sports. Um, much like the uh, Porsche Porsche crash where the Porsche ended up in a tree. We just thought it was yes. funny, so it's given an honourable mention. So we, we again, we were at this event, and we did we just completely missed it, and then saw it on a big screen on the far side <laughs> of the circuit. Like, is that Porsche in a tree? <laughs> then just genuine confusion for sort of five or ten minutes, because obviously the driver was then stuck in the car. You don't know if he's injured, so they weren't showing the crash. They weren't showing the car. They were filling with other shots from around the circuit until they knew he was okay, which is perfectly fine. No problem with that at all. But we saw one glimpse of a car in a tree and then had no idea what was happening. So it was just confusing for about 10 to 15 minutes of what has happened. Like, yeah, what did happen? We shocked to hear, Cree, they didn't restart the race. Oh, no, did you know? I can't possibly think of why. It was a sort of 20, 20 to 5 the 20 to 25 minute red flag as they managed to get that car out of the tree, which is actually, I think pretty good going. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it was funny. Though. It was funny. It um, was funny. And essentially what happened was he got tagged coming through paddock spun, uh, and then hit the tire barriers coming up the hill towards the bridge at Druids backwards, which just sent the car into the air, uh, and landed in a tree. There you go. 
Right. And there you go. We got three to go, and this is t- we're, we're taking quite a while, but uh, that's okay. It's a, good, it's a good show. It's it's Christmas nearly. Um, nearly. So it will course, be when we finished. Well, <laughs> uh, so of course, Christmas is all about disappointments. So, what's the biggest disappointment of the year award? Uh, this one's also in contention between all three of us. So, uh, I'll read it. It's yeah, fine. Got that. Uh, so the busy, biggest disappointment award. Uh, the nominees are. Roman Grosjean for his poor performance in IndyCar. Uh, the Williams Formula One team. The Alpha Towery Formula One team. Uh, Alex Polo. Glickenhaus. Bicolors <laughs> not teaming up with Peugeot, I assume. No, 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 no. It's Bicolors not Peugeot. We. Oh, yeah. This is the, the story around how the Peugeot were allowed to race at Monza, whereas Bicolors weren't. Uh, Carl Seitz, Jr. Uh, the Honda MotoGP team, the Yamaha MotoGP team, and the Ferrari Formula One team. So, uh, and none of them, and we couldn't decide on who was the winner. No, so now, Sean, who did you who did you pick? Sean? I picked Roman Grosjean because last year we said that if he doesn't win a race, that'd be a big disappointment. So there you go. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I must admit he was in the DHL Ganassi team. Yeah, was it? Yeah, it's a, it's a uh, good Andretti, car. Andretti. He's a good car, yeah, and he Andretti, probably yeah. should have. Should have won a race at least, considering yeah. A, his pedigree, and B, you know, he's in one of the best teams on the grid. Well, I mean, uh, last season he had some good results last year, and we thought, you know what, this is this is boding well. He's still learning circuits. It's his first full season. We'll give him benefit of the doubt. Next year he could easily win a race, and he didn't. Yeah. Didn't, so, um, didn't don't people think he's a villain or something because he keeps complaining? Oh <laughs> well, no, because he keeps hitting his teammates. <laughs> Oh, that's so awesome. yeah, he also keeps driving like a Formula One driver. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he's not giving anything. He's not giving his teammates any space at all. I think it was. Um, oh, where was it? Oh, we hit everyone. Yeah, where he hit literally every teammate he possibly could. Oh, um, I want to say Nashville, but it might not have been. I don't think it was. Wow, that's going to annoy me Detroit. now, but. No, it wasn't Detroit. It's the one with the big spider in the middle. Oh, um, Alabama. That's it. Yeah, Alabama Motorsport Park, and it was there, uh, which is a really cool circuit. But he, he hit Rossi two or three <laughs> times uh, to the point where they had a full-on argument in the pit lane after the race. Um, Grosjean was just like, "I don't, I don't care. I really don't care. I'm just racing." I love that. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I like his attitude now. I like how relaxed and chilled out he yeah, is because I think that's like good. That. He was like that back in 2009 when I met him. Yeah. <laughs> He's not changed at all, and it's great. Um, but, but I think he does need to sort of realise now that he's not a Formula 1 driver anymore. He's an IndyCar driver, and he needs to drive with other IndyCar drivers. So you're better off being liked. <laughs> nah, he's Swiss, mate. You'll just buy him out. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> anyway, who else was there? Uh, Cree, who did you pick? Uh, I went with the, I think it was the Yamaha MotoGP team. Yeah, I went with the Yamaha MotoGP team. Because <laughs> they were atrocious. Because uh, they were. They had, uh, I kid you not, at, the, at this very moment in time, Fabio Quattararo, in my opinion, is the best MotoGP rider. Rider. Because what he did on that Yamaha bike is wizardry. How he's how he finished second in that champion championship is beyond me on a bike that was never developed, 
with, on a bike with an underpowered engine and that didn't quite handle the way it should have done. And did the Yamaha MotoGP team halfway through the season when he was struggling with the bike turn to him and go, not a problem, Quattararo, within a couple of races, we'll have it fixed. You know, we'll sort it all out and, you know, we'll we'll get you on the right track to make sure you can hold your, was it 100 and something points lead and, <laughs> you know, you can retain your title for this year. No, no, they didn't. They left him out in the cold. They, they still have Frankie Morbidelli, who is a waste of space, who constantly, he was being beaten by Carl Crutchlow, who isn't pensioner in MotoGP <laughs> terms. And he came on a satellite motor uh, Yamaha bike, which is not the factory bike. It's a year old, on year old machinery, and was consistently beating him in the race. And did Yamaha decide, no, Morbidelli, we don't want you anymore? No, they didn't. And they're going to keep him for another year. No, they're not. So, yeah, Yamaha, they are. <laughs> He's still got a contract, so he will ride a Yamaha bike next year. Because what they don't want is when Maverick Vinales rode for Yamaha, he was told he was going to leave at the end of the year, and in Austria, he essentially grenaded an engine on the way into the pit lane. And they didn't want to repeat that, so to stop that from happening, they just went, ah, oh, Morbidelli, just carry on. So next year, Quattrararo is going to go into the 2023 MotoGP season on his own, literally, because there is only two bikes next year, because um, of how poor Yamaha is. For context, Sam, uh, Quattrararo did manage to get 248 points, which isn't a lot in MotoGP terms, but it's you know it's a good number. It did come second. Um, Frankie Morbidelli was the next best Yamaha, um, 19th in the standings on 42 points. That's a big gap. That's a very big gap. Less. Yeah. And even if you just look at the position, let's face it, it's that's pretty pretty terrible. I mean, I mean the Honda's also quite bad, uh, but not as bad as the Yamaha. Yeah, it's not. No, it's just it's it's a massive disappointment. It really is. And the way it gets even worse is the reports from the end of season test is Yamaha brought this brand new engine that's yeah. meant to be even more powerful. Quattrararo gets off the bike and goes, "Nah, shit, man." There's no difference. What he says. <laughs> no different, and you just sat there going, "No." <laughs> and, again, and again, this is the bike which won last year and near and well, almost nearly won this year. Which, he should have won this year. He was a hundred and something points ahead of the mid-season. Which, which is four races worth in MotoGP. I'll put it yeah. this way. Um, Francesco Bagnaia overturned the largest deficit that there's ever been in a MotoGP championship to win the championship. Just shows you how bad Yamaha dropped the ball yeah. in the final part of the season. Again, they're the biggest team on the grid, Yamaha. I uh, well, in terms of like... Not GDP in terms of a country, but GDP in terms of a business. They are the biggest. Um, yeah, just, it's either them or Repsol Honda, and both have done a terrible job. Um, well, they're both as bad as each other. Anyway, really uh, what else was there? There was what did Sam pick? Yeah, Sam, what did you choose Ferrari? I I chose the Ferrari Formula One team for much the same reason. Of they had arguably this well the opposite really. They had a, the arguably one of the best cars <laughs> on the grid. And just did nothing with it. They started so well. And everyone thought, you know what, this could be Ferrari's year. They are doing really, really well. And then, for some reason, they just stopped trying. Um, <laughs> the results just disappeared. The pace disappeared at some circuits. The cars were suddenly unreliable. There was some very, very odd strategy decisions. Um 
like the hard tires, for example, oh, at Hungary, yeah. that made no sense whatsoever. Was it like four um, degrees that day? It was so cold, yeah, and everyone was struggling with tire temperature. And I went, "Yep, hard tire. That <laughs> makes sense." Um, <laughs> even more troublesome one was Brazil when he put intermediates on it. He was the only car on intermediates. Not yeah. even his teammate was on intermediates. No, um, and I—I I mean, the only reason I'll give Ferrari, um, I'd pick Yamaha over Ferrari is because Ferrari just threw away the championship so early in the season that it didn't matter. Yamaha, true, they, true. They, kept, they kept a <laughs> they kept a hope alive, and they still yeah. lost. <laughs> yeah, I mean there is that, but I mean I think <laughs> I think everybody really, if you're if you like Formula One. You quite like to see Ferrari do quite well, generally yeah. speaking. Um, and and even if you don't necessarily like the team, quite often you like one, if not both, of their drivers. Um, I bet Charles Leclerc. I, bet I think quid on uh, sixty quid. Sorry, Charles Leclerc. Um, there you go. And and um, me going sixty quid, sixty quid every time he got to pole position started to get a bit um, straining after the. 10th, 11th time it happened. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 60 quid. Oh, he's not going to win, is he? Never mind. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, yeah, let's go through the other nominations. So, Carlos Sainz Jr., I just think he was disappointing this year. I was know. nowhere near his teammate, really, was he? he... No, the first half of the season, he was poor. The second half of the season got better, but overall, it's probably a 5 out of 10 for the season, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. I'd agree with that. Uh, Formula One circles, Alpha Tauri. I think they had a disaster of the season. Oh, considering, crap. yeah, considering, was it 2021 they won Monza? Uh, 2020. Was it yeah, 2020. 2020. Well, 2020 they won Monza. 2021 they had a strong car. 2022, yeah, that, yeah they poor, it was, it very poor. Shit. Very poor. Um, Williams, <clears throat> now, Sam and I were discussing this during the week. I think the uh, Williams is possibly even worse of a disappointment. I, I, yeah. you know, I agree for the team. I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if Williams faults. I can see it happening, and they, they're they not. I really know. hope not. They won't I really fall. hope not. Apparently, Dalton are planning on selling the team. I've seen. <laughs> They've brought a lot of sponsorship in, though, haven't they? This year, no, they the, cars, no. the cars not been there. There's been sponsors on it. Mm. Oh, it's better than last anyway. few years. Well, um, yeah, Alex Pelot we've discussed just because he imploded his own season yep Gleckenhaus much the same uh, <laughs> um, it's disappointing that they didn't see through the last couple of races yeah uh, threw their toys out of the pram and then uh, Bicoles not being allowed to race because they're, bike because they're not French basically uh, and the FIA are a bunch of racists who don't like not French people, which is why the why Peugeot were allowed to race for the rest of the season. You're definitely not bitter, are you, Sean? No. Uh, let's move on to the next award. <laughs> oh, yes. Also, you can pick your own winner out of um, that one for that category. Right, yep. two to go. This is the, the nice one we made up last year. Uh, the Sterling Moss Racing Lifetime Achievement Award uh, for any driver who has basically finished their careers. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I and mean, this what this one it doesn't get many obviously, <laughs> not many big high name profile people retire every year or at least not in the last year we've done it. Um, so they've got two nominations this year, which are Sebastian Vettel and Jason Plato. 
I'm sure Jason Plato is a lovely man, but um, Sebastian Vettel wins every day of the week. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. This is the only um, one we all voted the same bottom. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think my, my comments for Sebastian is when he started his career, he was an arrogant bastard. Like you just look at his early, you look at his early Red Bull career, and you just go, "You twat." But <laughs> as he's gone on, he's matured, and he has won. Like if if you ever have kids, or if you want kids, or you know, if you so on so you know, you look at him and you go, "He is a role model for the modern." He is, world. yeah, he is. He absolutely is. Not only as a sportsman, but <clears throat> off the track as well. He is. He. Uh, he's the right amount of political, I think, and with the right causes. Because um, we always say with with Hamilton that he's a bit too political and he takes it a bit like almost too seriously. And you know, but Serbi is like understated. He makes his point, but he does it in a better way. Like for example, um, the litter picking. The Seb has started doing so after a few races last year and this year. I think he stayed behind and cleaned up the grandstands. Was it B project? I quite like his B project. Was it this year he went on question time? It was, was was and did you you watch that? Yeah, I didn't watch the whole whole thing, but I I did watch a few bits and pieces. But the best thing is, English isn't his first language, he's on a political show, which to some people might think is a bit daft. And he's in an environment that, just from a HR point of view, screams, do not do this. And yeah. he, took it, oh, he, he took it all on the chimney. He just well, was he fantastic. Told, he told them apart. Yeah. Well, you know what? So when he got announced as going on question time, I think a lot of F1 fans and motorsport people went, that'll be interesting. <laughs> and a lot of non-motorsport people went, why is he going on there? He's a racing driver. And then he came out of it brilliantly he did so well and uh, if he doesn't go into politics in the next few years I think there's uh, I'd be very very surprised I think it's gonna yeah it should be easy decision for him to do if he wants to do something in his country that could easily be Sebastian Vettel for Chancellor at this rate really <laughs> isn't it um but uh, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd rather see oh, him as like. And I just like to point out, he's he's also saved historic F1 cars with his Nigel yes. Mansell, yeah, William by running it on sustainable fuel. Yeah, yeah, he's been and green, also, but not a dickhead. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's brilliant. Absolutely love Vettel, and and like you said, in his early days when he was absolutely walking to win everything. Um, yeah, you have to say it was a bit boring and he was a bit arrogant, but equally he was a young driver who was literally the best in the world. Yeah. Right. Uh, My turn. Yeah. So, hello, Mum. I know you listened to this one. Yes, see, I did put do something nice. I put Vettel in this list. You're welcome. <laughs> um, right. My turn. So, Sebastian Vettel has three, maybe four distinct phase, phases, depending on which team he was with. Um, I knew him or first first person when he was in Formula BMW uh, and sort of got, got I thought, oh that's okay it's pretty good he then made his debut in F1 uh, did fantastically well scored points with the old point system at Indianapolis great job I've only, I've only ever seen him when he was when he was young as a fast driver I was like he's good he scored yeah. points he then went to Toro Rosso destroyed Sebastian Bourdais 
Um, <clears throat> the best bit was, I think his best season, debatably, was 2008, which uh, he was in the Toro Rosso, which was a terrible car. Um, and he came, I think it was seventh that year. He beat both the works Red Bulls. Um, he didn't score any points. He, he didn't finish a race until race six or seven. Didn't he win? Was it, does that, he won yep. at Monza? He did. He, yep. won, he won at Monza in the wet. Um, everyone expected the Toro Rosso to go backwards that year. And he didn't. He, he just walked away with that with that race. Um, and yeah, then he has his, his uh, more competitive years. 2009, of course, he challenges Button for the championship. Didn't quite make it, but no one really expected him to do it. He was still young. It was a good fight. Then he gets the years where everyone says he's arrogant. I never saw that, but that's because I was a fan. So that's fair enough. Because multi twenty one wasn't him being an arrogant. Sorry, player. if if Mark if, when when you have a driver as slow as Mark Webber as your teammate, you know what do you expect really? <laughs> um, yep, yeah, destroyed Mark Webber's career. That's all good. Uh, we'll ignore two thousand and fourteen. Uh, <laughs> um, and then yeah, his Ferrari years. I have said on record a few times that the first couple of years of Ferrari were good. Um, and I think he should have retired in two thousand and oh, eighteen or nineteen. Eighteen. 18 he should have retired after he messed up the championship. I think yes. I don't think he should have carried on. And I've said this before, and I will say it for the rest. Of the day. I think he's had the last three years. Not really, you know. Sure, he's he's had a couple of nice showings for the Aston Martin, but it's been nothing to write home about. I don't. No, think, I would I, agree. I don't think he's done. Sure, he's helped his wider audience career. His, you know, his his public image. Um, yes, which is absolutely fine. Definitely, yeah, has. that's fine. Um, but for his racing career, I think he should have quit a few years ago, and I I will always think that it doesn't matter. Do I think Alonso is the right person to replace him? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's a he is a great a great driver. He is he will be a legend of the sport. He already is a legend of the sport. Hundred percent. You can't be a legend if you're still alive. Okay, all right. In that category of it, <laughs> no, you can't. But, um, okay. And I think, yeah, I think history will look a lot more favourably on him than contemporaries will. At mm. Right now. Yeah. So there we go. Uh, Jason Plato, yep. uh, fantastic BTC career. Well done. That's all we need to say. Yep. <laughs> uh, right. Last category. Which is, there is no winner, of course, for this one. It's the ones to watch for next year. Um, let's see. We've got uh, the Haas car launch. Because, you know, will it be the same car as this year? Ooh, <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> will they get the most pointless innovation of the year award? We, we, Maybe. We, we really hope so. We're really hoping next yeah. year's Haas looks the same as this year's. Um, <laughs> otherwise, we've got to like think of actual topics and uh, yeah. stuff. Uh, Liam Lawson in Super Formula. Uh, the bike on is. Um, Ashley, hopefully, come on, please get, just just give them the fucking place. If they've got a car. Um, the Ferrari LMH, the Peugeot LMH, the WEC putting in the GTP cars from IMSA, or as uh, Cree then put it, should we not just put the WEC as a whole? Uh, yeah, yes. pick like three things that are all WEC related. <laughs> you're just like, why not just choose WEC in general? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I yeah, think WEC so is going to be brilliant next year. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, um, 
Well, they will so, be yeah. soon. Better they... in 2024 when all of the teams are in. Well, well yeah. So well, yeah, because you've got Lamborghini, Lamborghinis in 2024, isn't it? And Alpine. And Alpine. And Acura. And a few others, to name a few. So long as bike collars are on the grid, I don't care. <laughs> um, yes, of course, the Ferrari one is their first... Well, it's their first prototype since the 333 SP, which is technically a Dallara, is what I will say, but whatever. Um, it's their first works team since the 70s? Yeah. I think. It um, is, yeah. And uh, Sam and I are going to go to Monza for their home race, their first homecoming we race. We are. And it's going to be fucking It's going to be... It's going to be wicked. It'll be so cool. Um, so, yeah, and I'm sure Cree will go along to Super Formula to see Liam Lawson. I'll try to. Yeah, go on. What's got, the... I'll, have a lot of, I'll have a lot on my plate, but I'll try to. <laughs> Take the little ones. Get some ear defenders. Yeah, that. Gonna, yeah, well, that will be the, the idea in the end. Yeah. Uh, the reason I said I want to watch is Liam Lawson in Super Formula. One, because I think Liam Lawson is a very good driver. He's just not really had time to shine in F2. But also, it kind of throws up a conundrum because, like in, I think it was 2017, Pierre Gasly went to Super Formula. Yep. Um, and then straight after that, he was put in the Toro Rosso. Yep. Yeah, it was Toro Rosso. The Toro Rosso car. And it's a similar thing with Liam Lawson because if he performs really well in Super Formula, wins the championship, dominates the series, you kind of look at Yuki Tsunoda and you go, hmm, does he still deserve that seat after 2023? And it kind of changes the dynamic because you said, well, if Sonoda gets kicked out, you get Liam Lawson in. Then you kind of think, well, what happens about the Japanese driver in F2 that I can't remember his name? Um, what does he do? Does he go to Superforma? Does Yuki go to Superforma? It kind of changes the whole dynamic of RBR's you know, um, promotion scheme through the ranks and so on and so forth. Um, so it's kind of good. It's good, and it's another good um, yardstick for Super Formula in general. Because lots of people will, I would imagine, will follow Liam Lawson, uh, and I think it's a nice addition. I think there's a few other European drivers in Super Formula next year, but I can't remember he's, who he's else. Not, he's not European. Sorry, non-Japanese drivers is what <laughs> I meant. I was going to say he's a Kiwi. I knew in my head I'm like he's a Kiwi, he's a Kiwi, he's a Kiwi. But I mean, I mean no, non-Japanese drivers. To be fair, Craig, he is born in Hastings, in New Zealand. Yeah, give me some slack, Jesus Christ, in, in New Zealand. Oh, no, never mind. <laughs> so not the 1066 Hastings. <laughs> no. no, not the 1066. But no, that's why I think he's one to watch because it kind of has a lot of implications should he do really well. And if he does really poorly, it also has some implication because then it's like, well, if Yuki does okay, isn't there's nobody, once again, there's nobody there to replace him. And if Nick DeFries does really badly, then you've got, you know, you could have Liam Lawson jumping in, the, I in that car. Uh, yeah, well, if we said this before, I don't think Nick DeFries is going to do poorly, no. mind you. I think Nick DeFries is a very good driver. But, you know, it, it's one of those, you know, it, there's a lot of if, buts and maybes. One thing I forgot to add on Wants to Watch is uh, how much of a fight um, Ocon and Gasly will have at... Uh, at um, yeah. If they every single race. If yeah. they don't start throwing cheese and having baguette fights, they're doing something wrong. It's <laughs> <laughs> like on guard to each other. Exactly. <laughs> what, what's what's uh, it we'll, we'll we'll discuss this later, uh, beginning of next year. But uh, we're going to go through uh, the which which uh, teammate relationship is going to be the most toxic next year. <laughs> there's, there's quite a few which are, are bubbling up. Um, yeah. Other moment which I uh, forgot to mention earlier was uh, 
Oh, what's his name? Who's the Japanese uh, driver who is Honda-backed and wasn't GP2, sorry, F2, um, and then went to... He's, not he's, he's a Red Bull rookie, is he not? No, no, the, the other one. Um, the other one. Matsushita? Yeah, him. Uh, Matsushita. Matsushita's in Super Formula, yeah, isn't he? That's what I mean. One moment was that, that overtake he did at uh, Suzuka. Oh, around the outside. That was, that was excellent. That was, was impressive. Fun. Yeah, that was impressive. Um it wasn't the moment of the year, but it was good. So there we go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's it. Oh, yeah, that's it, really. That is it. That's our awards for 2022. Anything, uh, else, anything else to add? No. No. I think we've got the CSR awards, which will be coming up yep. at some point. I presumably it will be another pod. Yep, that will um, be at the end of the year, so that's all good. But, and, uh, uh, Yes. Yes. We're into the Christmas time now exactly. of our specials. Yes. And this, we have a nice two-hour and eight-minute one here, so you're welcome. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's going to do it for the Stealth Auto Show. Special 2022 Motorsport Awards special. Uh, thank you to Cree and Sam for joining me. Anytime. And uh, thank you to my voice for just about holding out. Um, we shall see you next time. Take care and goodbye. Bye. Goodbye.